everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. Thank you for joining us. My name is Matt, and on the show with me today are my two lovely co-hosts, Dan. What up? And Tiff. Hey. Remember that you can chat with us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for the League of Nonsensical Gamers, or shoot us an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. Or you can check us out on our BGG Guild, number 2077, where you can chat about discussion topics or whatever else is on your mind. And I'm also plugging, we are on Instagram, Dan as the League account, and me as my personal account. We do a lot of board game photo posts, so feel free to search for the League of Nonsensical Gamers on Instagram, another way to connect with us. So today's show, we've got some Kickstarter spotlights and a few news stories that are pretty interesting. We are going to cover our top 10 filler games, and we're going to round out the show with an interview with Mr. Jason Katarski of Green Couch Games. He's also the designer of Fidelitas and Dead Drop most recently. Those are probably the titles you've heard of. But before we get into any of that lovely content, we are going to start the show as we normally do with a little bit about what we've been playing. And I'm going to kick it off with a game that we played just last night. And we were feeling a little thematic, a little social, and we got in a game of nothing personal. So this is a game put out by Game Salute uh, and designed by some notable names, Tom Vassell and Steve Avery. You've probably heard of them. Uh, And this is a gangster-themed game where players are bidding influence on a hierarchy of kind of a a gangster family tree, um, starting with lowly grunt peon workers all the way up to the capo himself or herself to be fair as we look at our game so players are bidding influence they are backstabbing wheeling and dealing and screwing their friends out of victory points and money and i thought it was pretty fun damn what was your kind of overall impression i wasn't highly excited for it to be honest with you social games aren't my my bag um I think they really require a specific group dynamic to understand and I guess bring the best out of those games. And ours is hit or miss. I think we have certain folks that are really good at them, really enjoy it, really make the experience fun. And then we have other ones that would rather just play it as, you know, more of a a Euro in a way. And so my hopes weren't too high, but um, I did actually enjoy myself. We, we got a good group of people together, folks that you know we've known for a long time. We understand how they work. We, we can wheel and deal with them. We can insult them, and they don't get um, insulted. <laughs> and I think I think it went over pretty well. So, I I mean, it's something I'll probably keep around. The components are really nice. It's um, everything. In that game is pretty top notch. It's even the cardboard is like four millimeters thick. You can't even like bend it when you're playing with it. Um, it's got all kinds of metal coins, the metal capo ring. Um, the art is, it's kind of quirky, but it's its not a bad style. Um, so, you know, overall, I'd, I'd definitely play it again, but it has to be with a specific group of people. I would never play this with my more Eurocentric kind of friends. How many did you play it with? Five. Wow. Five. Um, I, how long did it take? A couple hours? It was Yeah, it was a little bit long, and we actually shortened it. It's, yeah. it's a five-round game. We shortened it to four. I don't know if that's something that will increase with, or um, decrease, sorry, with, you know, experience, but... We had to learn it. We were wheeling and dealing. It was late. There's a couple factors working against us. I didn't feel the length too much, which is surprising, because I think we ended at, like, 3 a.m. Another game that we may or may not talk about, we were feeling the length of that one. 
But uh, yeah, I think that that is like the most glowing review I would have expected from Dan. I think that it, and I'm just teasing him, but I do think it was a lot of fun and we we picked well. I think we broke it out at the right time. I was there, Kel, Ben, uh, my best friend Andy, who's like a family friend of everyone. It was a good group for like a wheeling and dealing game. Uh, I think we we were all feeling the social element, screwing people over. The game, I was kind of like running away with it with points a little bit, and Andy was trying to make good plays. He was in last place. The last turn of the game, everyone pooled their money to make Andy re-roll a die until he lost, and then we stopped. <laughs> we just like, it was a lot of like, take that, screw you, and it didn't make sense strategically all the time, but it was just good fun, and it was very kind of thematic and enjoyable. So I thought it was fun. I think that I, I would like it to stick around, but it, I don't know. Anyway, Tiff, nothing personal. I don't know. You're a, you're a social gamer, right? You it's like social games. I did trade mine. Oh, okay. Well, then here, this is good. We've got a difference of opinion here. I play, I've played it three times. The first time I played it with three players, I think, three or four, and I was like, wow, this is a social game that I think I like. Then I played it with five players, and there was just so much downtime in between turns, like a lot of it, and I got bored with it. Mm. And there were also in that game two players that were really after each other, and everybody else was kind of like not that take that about it. So I don't know if it was just like a bad mix of players, like one person was completely disengaged from the game. That wasn't me, by the way. Um <laughs> So that one, like, I already kind of had a bad taste in my mouth from that. And then the third time I played it, someone quit because they got so ticked off. Wow. So it just, it turns out the kind of people that I play with just can't handle this sort of game. Uh, so I traded it for five tribes. <laughs> yeah, that seems like a reasonable trade. The farthest thing away from nothing personal. Um, yeah. But just as frustrating and annoying. In a very different way, though. You don't have to talk right. to people during that game. Right. <laughs> I know that I like Five Tribes better than Nothing Personal, but I don't 100% know if I like Five Tribes. Yeah, so. that's, that's the problem. No, <laughs> that definitely sounds like an experience that would sour and warrant a trade. And that, I think that when we went into this game, we were in a good, we were in a good place with a good group, but I easily, I, I would have bet money. Uh, I would have bet my position as capo that the game probably would have turned out the way that you're describing. Like, I could have seen someone getting disinterested, somebody getting angry, probably me. Um, I feel like with a with a different mix, it could easily go that way. So I think Dan's apt in saying we should probably be very careful who we play this game with because it is so take that and screw you. Mm -hmm. And you got to be got to be in the right place for that. So, yeah. I was surprised when Dan said he got it. I was like, oh, boy. I was surprised when Dan said he got it. I can't wait to see how this one turns out for you guys. I was also surprised when he broke it out after we played Battlestar Galactica. Back-to-back -back games, man. That's intense. Yeah. I didn't play a single Euro this weekend. He's my, all itchy. You look a little hurts. pale. My heart hurts. He broke out in hives. <laughs> Fillers and... Yeah, I haven't played any Euros yeah. this weekend either. To be so. fair... They were all your games. I know. It's fine. <laughs> I had to get a feel for them. I had to get a feel for them and see. Well, a couple of them were review copies. We've got Aquasphere and Glenmore and Trajan sitting in the stack. It'll happen. Well, yeah, so to like contrast nothing personal, we had a, a nice social game night of like six hours long because these games take forever. Um, we played Battlestar Galactic for the first time, and this is one that Dan has been sitting on for a while. Um, and this is a... 
it's from the show. It's an intellectual property. It's got the, all the, like, the art is still frames from the show and things like that. So it's hidden role, like, um, allegiance game where there's crisis cards every round, almost like Dead of Winter. This came first, obviously. Um, one of you might be a traitor. Two of you might be a traitor um, by the end of the game because halfway through the game, allegiances may or may not switch. But basically, it's like a hand management card game almost, at least for us it was, with like a little bit of board play. There's Cylon Raiders and attacks that happen and you move around the Battlestar Galactica to control that, but then also a big thing is controlling these crisis cards by contributing cards um, to a communal pool that meets a goal, or if it doesn't meet the goal then it fails and bad things happen. So the game is trying to deduce who's the Cylon and um, you're trying to jump a certain amount of times just like the show and find your your new home planet um so it's very thematic in that sense but i think the gameplay itself we chatted for a long time after the game and it it was very strange we had very kind of different opinions and then dan talked me into thinking opposite of what i thought and then we fell kind of in the middle on it i think our our game was just the perfect storm of just mediocrity and Mm -hmm. sameness it was just there's this really cool mechanic called the destiny deck which is there's five skill cards and everyone's going to contribute these skill cards if you've got um, a specific crisis that calls for them the destiny deck is made up of two of each color skill card and you put two of them into the pile before anything else happens so it throws in this little wrench of you don't know who maybe threw in a bad card because it could have been the Destiny deck or it could have been someone, you know, the Cylon. But the way it worked out for us was there was at no point in any of the we must have seen whole like, game. We must have seen at least like forty crisis cards. At no point in the game was there a point where it was like somebody's a Cylon because the Destiny deck actually worked against us in that it only ever produce two negative results which could have been the destiny deck or it could have been you know somebody throwing them in so it was just one of those things and it was like as me i was a human the whole game and i was just like i i you know there was nothing for me to base my suspicions or anything on if at any point a third bad card showed up in that destiny deck you would have known someone at the table was a cylon and then you would have had something to go on and it would have been the witch hunt at no point during the game did we get that clue to start the witch hunt, which for me, the Cylon the whole game, was awesome. It was fantastic. You know, I, I felt tense because I was throwing in bad cards, and sometimes the Destiny deck, well, every time, the Destiny deck worked in my favor. So it was tense, and I was on the edge of my seat, and I'm like, oh my god, this game is crazy. I'm going to get caught, and all kinds of bad stuff are going to happen. Turns out, the subjective experience that I was not experiencing was everyone else at the table was like, this is really fracking boring because (laughs) nothing is happening and i'm thinking everything is happening so we also didn't draw into any we didn't um, draw into any cylons battles either so we basically had a calm serene board with no cylon attack ships for about maybe 75 percent which every space on the board almost contributes to fighting cylons in some way and there were no cylons to fight we had two pilots floating in wrapped air vipers outside the ship just for fun just like (laughs) practicing loop-de-loops and things in their plane because they had nothing to do yeah and it was on my turn it was there was an action that was literally 
said do nothing and i would just we do just, nothing just and nothing. draw a crisis card and yeah. i did that so many times and i was just like yeah oh, this is so and boring. also like i was the president so i i had this other role on top of it which gave me other responsibilities some of the crisis cards were like president you make the decision so i got to do things all the time me and kel who was the admiral got crisis cards handed to us had to make tough decisions had to like but dan is very valid in saying like he didn't do anything the whole game for and i didn't four hours when we stopped playing i was like this game was so much fun and dan was like this game was not that much fun and i was like you're just bitter because it's a thematic game and it's social and you didn't like it and then this morning i woke up and was like dan didn't do anything for four hours maybe i should be nice to him so <laughs> well i think that's like one of my biggest fears and why i've like never wanted to try this game is that it's a really long game that you could easily i feel like you could easily mess it up yeah like one person reacts to drawing your card a little bit too much and the game is done but different from like uh, again i use that a winner because it's recent and it's, it's like a pretty new hotness comparison to yeah i think they took similar. a lot of influence from Battlestar Galactica but um, if you reveal as a Cylon you actually don't get you just go to the Cylon ship and there's four Cylon specific actions which you can then work off of to try and drive home your goal so you're not exiled you're not kicked out of the game or anything like that it's you just go and you do Cylon specific (laughs) things your turn sequence changes slightly but you can still contribute and you're just knowingly at the table, everyone yeah. knows. Now everyone's just glaring at everyone. you, um, which is nice because you don't get kicked out of the game. But like, I like that part of it. Yeah, I was sitting in the brig because I and I ended up there just by accident. Like it was like Matt, you need to go to the brig so that we don't have a worse effect. So I'm sitting in the brig and I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna be a Cylon now. Like I'm just gonna tell you because I'm sitting here and you guys won't let me out of here because it takes too much res- too many resources. So I was and the game was too far gone at that point, but. Anywho, I think it could be fun. Nothing. The contrast between this and Nothing Personal, though, Nothing Personal was a much better like social game for us. It it worked way better. But I think it's because of the game, not because of the players. Like the game just ran better than Battlestar Galactica. It just like I said, Battlestar Galactica was the perfect storm of just yeah, meh crap. <laughs> but there's three expansions to it. It's I still liked it thematically. It was awesome. It's probably my maybe second, third, fourth, top five favorite show of all time. I love, I love Battlestar that show. Galactica. So good. It's so good. And, and the game feels just like like just like the show. Just like the show. It uh, it does. It's just the escalation. Which, but the, that's not always fun because some of the show is just people sitting around on a ship, like solving a water crisis, and they sum that up into one card play in this game. So the whole hour long episode is now one card, and that's not fun when you're like. It's all shrink down. I would have just liked a little more to do. A couple more Cylon attacks to ramp up the tension. Yeah. Yeah. Something. I don't know. So you guys going to try it again? Yeah, I'm keeping it. I'm not getting rid of it. It's Battlestar Galactica. I, I'll just hug it if I don't play it. <laughs> it's going to take a while, though. Dan's got to get his Euro juices pretty high up before he's going to be like... I've been craving it. I've owned it for about maybe eight months, and we haven't yeah. gotten a chance to play it. But again, it's one of those ones I knew we had to have the right group, yeah. people who wanted to be social, people that wouldn't get their feelings hurt if they it's, were backstabbed. It's really not that intimidating of a game, though. People mm, always say, like, simple. it's a four-hour game and, like, there's a lot to jump in. It's really not. It's a Fantasy Flight rulebook, so oh, yeah, automatically it just ratchets up. It's an old up. Fantasy Flight rulebook. The new ones are better, but the old ones, it's... I was like, 
they don't even talk about i was like what are the cylon actions and i wanted to look discreetly they're not in the rule book so the only way to look is like to get up on the table and be like what do these do it's such a poop rule book. anyway anyway so our social gaming aside tiff chat about something that has cubes or a meeple or beige in the in the board oh i got all that i think all right let's hear um it. Well, okay, I'll talk about Walnut Grove. I got a chance to play this with Dan, actually, at PressCon, and it's been on my shelf in Shrink for a really long time, so I was super pumped to try it out. Um, it's it's like a tile placement Euro game, so you have a tableau, and you're a farmer who is hiring hands from town and um, building up your land... Uh, in your tableau with these different tiles and where you place depend will give you different cubes different resources and then there's a little wheel that tells you basically which resources you're going to have to spend that round so you're it's it's really tight resource wise so you're looking and uh, you have to feed your workers that kind of a thing and different colored workers need different colored cubes so you're just trying to plan out as you go through town which kind of cubes you're going to need to feed those workers and also different ways to build up your homestead and i don't know i really liked it it was a super short game i think it was only like a half hour and just gave a nice euro feel really tight euro feel um i'd highly recommend it i dig it a lot what'd you think about it dan it was tight that game was like noose around your neck tight that was it was yeah i don't know <laughs> you didn't like it but just no, say it it's not it's not that i didn't like it uh there was a lot i did like about it i liked the time limit i thought it was a great little fix of like you said a tight euro within... it's got a time limit no but i liked the time oh, oh, oh sorry the time commitment. i misunderstood sorry. that I was... uh, the time commitment you can get it in in probably after a few plays um like 30 to 40 minutes um it's got a cool little like the my favorite part was the building of your tableau. It's got a car- carcassonne, carcassonne, whatever you want to call it. Carcassonne. Um, carcassonne. Yeah, it is. I don't know why I say car. I think I say that because of Smee. Smee yeah, says Smee carcassonne. Yeah, carcassonne. Yeah, so carcassonne. Your wife is French. You have no excuse. Well, it's probably carcassonne. Like, you probably cut off the last six <laughs> letters. But, yeah, I like that because at the end it looks really neat. and It looks like a little, uh, a little ranch you've built. And I guess technically you're only really getting eight. You get eight turns in the game. You get one action per turn, um, and yeah. it's it's basically a it's a resource management feed your people kind of thing. And um, yeah, no, I thought I thought for what it was, it was it was a good game. Um, I think if it went any longer, I'd probably get annoyed by it. But I thought it sat right at that thirty to forty minute range. Yeah, it's got a good pace, and it also your tiles you draw out of a bag. And I just love any game where you draw stuff out of a bag. It's just. That always notches it up a level for me, so I don't know. So could you, like, bribe your opponents to not feed someone else's worker? No? No? No, no, it's not like that. You don't, you're not interacting. A lot of tough choices, because, like you said, you only get the eight actions, and do I want to build, you know, a campsite for my guy so I don't have to feed him, or do I build a bigger barn so that I can hold more resources so that I don't starve next turn? So, it, oh yeah, it like some... do I reveal myself as the traitor or not? You know, it's, it's just exactly like yeah. that. Exactly. It's funny that you mentioned <laughs> yeah. that. I revealed myself as a cow. 
But you know what I like about it is that there are loan cards or like they're help from your neighbor cards. So you can take those if you're not going to meet your, if you're not going to be able to. Yeah, you can take a little bit more risk with those. But two points is huge. If you lose that two points, like but the end game score is like 10 to 2. <laughs> you can pay them back. And I think it's easier to pay those back than other games that have loan cards like Gates of Loyang or. Yeah, I would agree. So. I, I don't know. I liked it a lot, and I've I've come to the realization that like the longer Euros are only going to get played at Panericon if I'm lucky, and um, I need something short like this that we can bust out on a Thursday night, and I could feel like I've played a Euro game. Yeah, I'm, that might be something that I could fill in with my collection. I look, I have a couple like longer Euros, and that's pretty much like all the it. Euro I have. You have it, okay? Because like I could use a shorter one. Because Cal doesn't like want to play like a two-hour Euro game, but if but sometimes I want Cal would probably like to play one. it. Yeah, you can borrow it. it. Sounds like it'd be a good fit. Anywho, Walnut Grove, cool. I'm gonna keep it with Tiff since we hogged the spotlight with two very long social games. Because uh, but I wanna it's because I want to hear about this. This is self-serving. I want to hear about Abraka what. Okay, <laughs> so Abraka what is a Korea Board Games publication that came out. I think this Essen. Is that right? I think that's right, yeah. Yeah. And it, 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 I was attracted to it because it sounded like Hanabi-ish. Because and it was it foreign is. and you had to pay more than $60 yeah, that, in a different currency. You know what, Dan? That is She true. had to look up the okay. conversion rate from U.S. dollars to something else, and she's like, I got to have this game. I must ship something. I must pay for <laughs> shipping. <laughs> hey, Matt is interested in it because it sounds like an interesting game, not just because it's kind of hipster. True. And I will wait for the U.S. release. <laughs> I got a reasonable price. Oh, I think it it's from Yellow, too, so the U.S. one will probably be pretty. Yeah, well, whatever. Ooh. Do you want me to talk about the game but or the, do you want to pick it, on me? Yeah, I want to hear about the game. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the way it works is you have these different spell stones, and they have different numbers on them. Um, there's one one, two twos, three threes, four fours, etc. And you shuffle those all up, and everybody gets five and you face them all out. So you don't know what you have, but everybody else knows what you have. And then on your turn, you get to cast them. They're different spells. So like a one is the most powerful spell. It's the dragon. Um, you roll a dice, and a die, and see um, how much damage you do to the other players. So, and then it goes all the way up to the eight, which is a magic potion lets you heal. So there are just different ones that damage your opponents in different ways or heal you or let you look at secret stones, just different things. And so you have to guess what you have. And you say, I, do I have a six? And that's, I think, a blizzard. And if you do, someone takes that out of your tableau and puts it on the board and you do the damage to, it's either the player to your left or the player to your right. Everybody has, I think, six life life tokens so you're you're getting rid of those and the round ends when someone the first person dies and you play it over several rounds um at the end of the round the person who killed the player to end the round gets three points everybody that survived gets one point and whoever died doesn't get any points and you're trying to get up to eight points to win the overall game i don't know i kind of like it just it's special powers you get to be a wizard there's deduction and it's yeah. it's not complicated deduction. I usually really suck at deduction games, so I can figure this one out. 
Is the deduction based on, like, you can see everyone else's stuff, so you're just trying to, it's a little probability kind of stuff? Yeah, you can see everybody else's stuff. You know the distribution of the stones. You take four out at the beginning of the game um, because they're the number four tile lets you look at one of those secret stones and put it in your um, tableau of stones. So there is a little bit of hidden information that that you don't know everything but you can figure it out as people refill their tableau because after you can cast spells until you run out of tiles that can also end the round so if you can cast all five of your spells somehow miraculously i haven't seen it done yet but um that can end the game so you can keep going and pushing your luck um that way but as soon as you guess one that's wrong you lose a life okay yeah, this sounds cool. How are the components? Are they chunky? Um, well, they're not as maybe as nice as you probably as ELO is going to make them. Um, they're they're plastic stones. They feel plasticky, and you stick a little cardboard um thing. Uh, I don't know, a little cardboard thing in to show the the spell on the outside. Oh, okay. So it mm. it slides into a little slot at the top of the it went stone. like a like a Hanabi Deluxe version version right. with like it's, mahjong tiles. It's not like that Bakelite material. It's plasticky plastic, and it feels plasticky. And um, the board and correction or, correction looks like Z Man's doing this one. Oh. I think I've confused this with Medieval Academy. Oh. Uh, hmm. Well, then maybe they'll stay with the chintzy. <laughs> It'll be cardboard. It'll probably still suck. <laughs> I mean, I like the art. The art is cute, and <clears throat> I mean, I don't know. Everything is really glossy. The board is like a glossy, but I mean, the, the components are fine. They work. Yeah. They're you know, it's a really fun game. Every I've played it a couple of times over the last few days, and everybody that's played it really liked it. So I think it's a good one. One of the alternate names for Abracawat is Simsala Bum. <laughs> that's, okay. that's german yeah i, I don't know bum two m's is that german i think that'd be boom no boom. Some i don't know boom i don't know do you have to say it like that you have to stretch it Africa, what it has two m's oh okay i got you so that's how i would say it i mean i'm not gonna just go Africa. what not really Africa, what Africa, what I know Kung Fu. Sir, your uh, podium's gone. <laughs> Sorry. A little Celebrity Jeffrey anyway. reference for all those out there. Yeah. Uh, no, that's cool. Yeah, I'm excited for this. Is there, is there a U.S. release date yet? It's quarter two. I recommend it. I'm going to try it with the board game club uh, probably this week to see yeah. what they think of it. But I, no one has hated it, and, and it's a half hour, you know. That's a, that's a good recommendation. No one has hated it. <laughs> no one has disliked it. Like, everybody has had fun playing it. Like No, that's cool. I'm definitely excited for it. I think I heard about it, Geek All-Stars or something like that. Um, and I was like, yeah, this sounds Matt like Wolf. a game I would like. So it sounds pretty cool. Yeah. I think it is. So, Dan, let's go one more and before we take a break. All right. I want to hear the rant about baseball highlights. I'm going to talk about baseball highlights, which is a game that comes with 85% air. <laughs> Anyone who follows me on Twitter kind of knows that I am a little bit upset with Eagle and Griffin over this. Before I even get into gameplay, I'm just going to talk about the packaging <laughs> because this box comes, it comes in a, 
pretty standard sized board game box. I don't even, maybe similar to, actually, you know what I'm going to compare it to? The Sentinels of the Multiverse base game because they're very similar in size. However, the contents are nowhere near similar. Sentinels of the Multiverse weighs like 20 pounds. Sentinels of the Multiverse comes with actually cards. Um, <laughs> baseball highlights. And I'm going to preface this because I love the game. The game is amazing. But I'm going to preface this with the base game is two decks of freaking cards. It comes in a box the size of, if not bigger, than Sentinels of the Multiverse. And it costs $40. It also comes with a couple of little wooden, like, chitsy pieces that are just something you could get from, I don't know, the magazine in the back of the airline uh, seat. But it also just comes with like four little um, cardboard tableaus that you play a card on you don't even really need them they could be coasters i don't know anyways the deluxe version which i bought and i got suckered into and i don't know why because i love the game that's the sad thing it's just the heart spoke (laughs) (laughs) so i do all the blood runs above the waist for me in this game um a little bit below as well. It's a but weird we'll talk way to describe that. anything in life. Just, <laughs> just visualize. Just let him go. <laughs> All right. Visualize? I don't want to visualize where your blood's flowing during this game, please. <laughs> Anyways. So the deluxe version comes with the five expansions. Each expansion is like 10 cards. So it's another 50 cards. For the 50 cards plus the other, what, like 80 you get in the base game, they charge 65 freaking dollars. 65. Sentinels of the Multiverse comes with, mm, I'm guessing, and this is an estimate, I think 150,000 cards in the base game. And that costs $39.99 retail. You can get it for 25 on Cool Stuff or something. Eagle and Griffin just pissed me off beyond belief with this game. It is ridiculous because it's such a good game. And I think you could get into so many more hands if they just weren't so greedy and they just wisened up and put this in a smaller box and sold it for a reasonable price. And I think they're doing a disservice to Mike Fitzgerald because he's designed an amazing game. Rant over. I like this game. <laughs> um, it's basically a small 15 card deck builder in a way. So you're playing, um, it's a two player game by nature, but they ca- they have rules for three player, which seem kind of wonky and four player if you want to do like a tournament style game. Um, so you start, everyone starts with a base 15 card deck of just some rookies and amateurs, guys that just do basic abilities. There's veterans in there. Yeah, there's, all right. Didn't I say, what did I say? Veterans and amateurs? Sorry, I meant to say veterans and amateurs if I didn't say that. Um, and what you do throughout the game is you'll play these mini games. It's simulating the highlights of a baseball game. So each game is six cards for each player and you alternate taking turns playing cards. Uh, On the cards, they have an immediate effect, which is something like turn a double play. So you could get two guys out um, on the other player. And then they have what they call threatened hits. So uh, single, double, triple, home run, and maybe multiples of those. And what you're doing is you're going to, it's a little game of cat and mouse, actually. So you draw six cards and you play one. The immediate effect takes place and then you put out your threatened runners. So I'm threatening with a single double. Um, Tiff would come back and if she couldn't deal with the threat with my card play, so let's just say she played a card that said pick off one runner by accident. So I don't have the runner on base. So her immediate effect doesn't take effect. 
So my two dudes that were threatening get on base. So I now have a man on first and second. She then um, cues up her threatened hits, and then it's up to me to deal with it. So again, it's a little, like I said, a back and forth. Um, and it's just like baseball. The runners all advance on hits. You're scoring, and the winner takes that first game. Um, you're playing a small season of three games, um, and then you play the World Series, which is best of seven or best of whatever you want it to be. Um, in between games, you do a buy round, so you're constantly culling your deck with the amateurs and bringing in some robots or cyborgs or humans that are much better. Um, if I didn't mention, this game has humans and cyborgs and robots in it, <laughs> hence the baseball highlights 2045. It's in the future what the sport has become to make it more entertaining. Yes, because in 30 short years, there will be robot baseball players. I hope so. Um, <laughs> while, like I said, it's 15-card mini deck, six, game, six cards per game. It goes quick. It can be played in less than an hour um, if you do a full series and the, um, the season. Um, but it's really cool because you can tweak your deck. You know, the robot, it almost has a uh, paper, rock, scissors effect where the robots beat the cyborgs and the cyborgs beat the naturals kind of thing. So some of their, spe- I, I have that wrong, I think. But some of their special abilities just cancel each other. So you can kind of, if I see Tiff buying a lot of robots, I'm going to start buying the cards that kind of negate robot hits and things like that. So I really like it. It's just short, so simple. And uh, it's just a really good, and I'm not a huge deck builder fan. And I, I, it is a deck builder, but it's 15 cards. It's limited. It's just it streamlined. It sounds like it has a little bit, and not exactly, not a direct comparison, but like a Blood Bowl kind of feel where you're like condensing In a, a longer season. Yeah, yeah into no, like a little... thematically, yeah, it's definitely, it's Blood Bowl. The team manager, yeah. I mean, not the, the mini The card team. game, yeah. yeah. Okay. So you're, you're basically just going through the highlights yeah. of the game with those six cards and it just plays out a little story you know it's cool a little banter yeah um tiff what do you think oh i like it i like it i i have the same concern about the box size i probably would spend 40 dollars for it i don't even mind the price that much it's just the box is gigantic and doesn't need to be like i brought it with me to prescon in a tiny little deck box well i guess the question there would be like if it was a box that only fit this cards appropriately would you would you buy it at forty dollars if it had a forty dollar price tag on you know a fidelitas size box yes i would i don't know that everybody else would i think it's that perceived value thing that that the board game industry just struggles with because you want it to take up some shelf space for 40 right there's just air in here now i'm mad again right so i'd rather not be tricked let me know that it fits in the small well, box. Well, I mean, does the back of the box say 80 cards on it? Probably. Yeah, see, I started doing that. That's not something I used to do, but I started reading the back because after, like, 7th Hero and stuff, it's Dia like, Monsters. Dia Monsters is like, this car- this box has 15 cards in it, and I put it right back on the shelf. I'm not even paying the 10 bucks because I'm mad about that box. Yeah. yeah, and I think, I mean, I might be going overboard with my rants, but a bit. like Tiff you said. You just got to feel the feels, man. You just well, gotta- like Tiff said, though, I'm really sick of this trying to give me that perception that I'm getting more than I yeah. am. And yeah. and it's just annoying. And Eagle and Griffin's one of those companies that doesn't really discount either. Um, similar to like Game Salute. Um, they do some sales here and there, but they're, you know, when you get it at cool stuff, you're getting it at price that you would get it yeah. on um, Eagle and Griffin's site other than free shipping, et cetera. But um, I'm just, yeah, I'm really annoyed by these, these boxes that are just. Do you think you can get $40 worth of play out of it? For sure. 
That's why I said I would play pay it pay forty dollars for it. Then, I think Essentials of the Multiverse, while it's a fair comparison, is also like that's an above and beyond kind of game. Their games are well priced, so I don't know what the value. I don't know what I'd be expecting out of a forty dollar game. I Eighty just, cards seems low, but I don't know. Yeah. I haven't played. I mean, it. I'm okay with it. It comes with a whole slew of pawns and things, and the. I mean, I think it looks pretty nice for Eagle. It's really Griffin. the box size that's. It's really the box size that bothers me. I would rather have it be portable. Like this is the kind of game I would like to take with me yeah. and play. You know, I'd rather it have like it be it. a little bit more portable. And people are like, you know, art goes into those car and things like that. But it's I was true. like, here's here's my comeback for that though. Alchemists, I can get Alchemists for forty bucks. Alchemist had software costs, it had amazing artwork costs, and it weighs about 500 pounds. It's the size of, you know, it weighs as much as a gorilla. Well, I'd even go with a game like Abyss, which is overproduced in art and board, and that's $5 cheaper than this whole game. So yeah. there's lots of games that you could pull up it, and compare to, like, amazing art and components that and that's are that's where my head kind of gets confused by it. But, again, I think ultimately it's what Tiff said. This is a game that should be taken with you. It doesn't need this giant box with 85% air. It should be portable, and it's... But that aside, on a positive note, this is a game you should have and be taking around with you, right? You guys think that people should have this game? Yes. If you can get over the price point and... Or find a way around it? I I rationalized it. It still bothers me, but I really liked the game, so I really wanted it. So go out and steal Baseball Highlights 2045. (laughs) Don't steal it. I think it's worth $40. I think you're going to get $40 worth of gameplay out of it. I I would repackage it in a smaller box. Like If it weren't for the boards, you could keep it in a very tiny box. All right. Well, we beat that one to death. Sorry. So No, that's fine. Um... So we're going to go ahead and take a break, and when we come back, we're going to chat about some Kickstarter spotlights and some news. So welcome back. We're going to go ahead and jump right into some Kickstarter spotlights, and we are going to start with Bottom of the Ninth by Dice Hate Me Games. So this is a game that is well over its funding, so you're getting your game if you decide to back it. It will be ending March 26th, and for 20 bucks, you will get a cool little two-player dice game, dice and card game, um, representing the thrill of the last three outs in baseball. So the idea is it's the bottom of the ninth, you know, the batter's up, there's three outs to go, tie game and it is a stare down between the pitcher and the batters that are coming up through like a hidden selection mechanic you're going to be choosing the batter will be choosing how they are approaching uh, to hit the ball and the pitcher will be choosing how they are going to throw the ball and you will then reveal simultaneously and depending on how you match and if you match uh, between the pitcher and the batter Um, either the pitcher or the batter will gain an advantage and basically all you're trying to do is score one run if you're the batter and all you're trying to do is get three outs if you're the pitcher so um, if you get hits your players will travel around the board just like in baseball Um, and if you you can pitch strikes and balls depending on where you place the ball and how the batters hit each of them have their own individual abilities and characteristics as well as some pretty cool artwork which i believe is done by adam mciver you get a boatload of stuff for 20 bucks. 20 punchboard player cards are doing these things just like old school baseball cards. You're getting the field, which comes on cardstock. You're getting some nice uh, pitching dice. 
You're getting the wooden tokens, out markers, stripe markers, ball markers, fatigue markers, all those nice wood components. You're getting a nice rule book, and then you're getting a solo play designed by the man, Tiff, hold your breath, Richard Launius himself, uh, which he apparently loved this game and decided to throw together a solo variant, and they threw that in. It's not a add-on or anything like that. You're getting that with your game when you back. So are you guys backing this? Absolutely. Cool. So what are you guys digging about this? Well, I think <laughs> one of the things uh, that attracted me to the game is it's it's short and it's simple, and it's something that I could maybe possibly, hopefully, I'm hoping to get my dad to play. Oh, nice. Yeah. My dad is, you know, not a young dude anymore, and he's, like, kind of set in his ways, and have I have not found the game that I can get him to play yet, but this might do it. This is one of our common interests, baseball, so we might be able to make this happen. So that's why I want it. Yeah. I definitely think that this is a game for the baseball lovers in your life, um, as well as people who just like a really quick, awesome filler game. Um, Some of the stretch goals are great. They're getting some etched dice. They're getting new players, new art, things like that. Um, If you are interested in this project, head on over to the Kickstarter page. You've got some time before you back. Um, Rodney Smith also did a how to play and a full gameplay. Um, So you can definitely see the game in action. And I think you're going to dig it. I, I, don't, I haven't played it with anyone or seen anyone play it that hasn't liked it yet. I think it's a win. So next up is Valeria Card Kingdoms, designed by Isaias Vallejo and coming out from Daily Magic Productions. This project is about 75% through its funding goal. It's got about $6,000 left to go. It will be finished on April 9th, so there's still plenty of time. And this game is basically Machi Koro Plus. I think that's what everyone has been describing it as. Um, for 39 bucks, you are getting a game packed full of awesome artwork, awesome cards, with some really interesting dice and card play, where you are, like Machi Koro, rolling two dice each turn, and cards in your tableau that you will be building over the game will be triggering based on the values that come up on those dice. Each individual die value will trigger, plus the total sum together. Um, so this gives you three opportunities to trigger and everybody at the table will be triggering those numbers, so everyone will be gaining a benefit. The trick is that first player gets a larger benefit or a different benefit than players who are not the active player. Um, You can fight monsters, you can build these domain cards which give you kind of end of game points or immediate abilities. It's got some really quick and interesting gameplay, and I think that they've really refined this into a cool product. I will likely be backing this. I haven't clicked the button yet, but I think this is Definitely one that I want in my collection. And I know, Tiff, you mentioned that this might have killed Machi Koro for you. It destroyed it, I think. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I mean, I only played it once at Unpub. It might be too soon to say. And I did win, so that always helps. But Always helps. The thing that just, like, makes this so much better for me that I've always wanted Machi Koro to do is when you roll the two dice, like, both faces trigger. Yeah. Right? Like, the yeah. total plus, yeah. So, I really like that. I don't know. Just... I really do think that that one element changes the whole game. Yeah. I've thought about playing Machi Koro like that. <laughs> I don't know what would happen. But uh, I yeah, I really like it. I think because my board game club kids really love Machi Koro, this is a better, in my opinion, a better game than Machi Koro. The only thing I worry about is the fantasy theme won't appeal to everybody the way Machi Koro's cutesiness kind of appeals to a wider audience. But yeah. it's a good game. I'm prob- I haven't backed it yet either, but it's... It's going to get backed here. Yeah. 
Machi Kuro is not good. I've changed my thoughts on that since our review. Well, we can't talk about that right it. now. But we I, don't have to this, jump into it. I mean, after playing this, I feel the same way. This is definitely going to hit home with, with gamer types a lot more. Um, I think you're going to feel a lot better while you play it. Machi Koro has its place. I still think it's a good family game. But this game, because of the theme and because of um, just the more interesting gameplay mechanics, I think it's going to be the the longer lasting of the two. Um, and I really do think that this deserves to fund. It's close and it's got plenty of time, so hopefully it does. But definitely worth worth your dollars. Yeah. All right. And our last project that we are going to look at in depth or at least a little bit more in depth, is called Burgle Bros, or Burgle Brothers. Uh, this is a cooperative heist game from Tim Fowers, who also did Paperback um, and Walkstar. And it has crushed its funding goal. It's way, way, way over. It's got a lot of cool uh, stretch goals already achieved. And this will be ending on April 4th. And uh, 30 bucks gets this shipped to you in the U.S. So it's got a nice low price point. Um, this... I, I saw it and I thought, oh, heist games, not a lot of people doing heist games, so I checked it out. What drew me in was inspired by the game Monaco, which is an awesome top-down 8-bit uh, video game that we've played a lot um, in our family and like with our friends. And this game looks cool. I am excited for it. It's fully cooperative. It plays in 45 to 90 minutes, and it has you taking on different kind of goofy character roles and going off on a heist like Ocean's Eleven or The Italian Job. I, I'm excited for it. Anybody have interest in this? I'm backing it. You are backing it? Yeah. I. Yeah. Dan actually texted me about it because we had been working on a game design that was a heist-themed game. And, I, and this pretty much the way when I watched the video, which is kind of goofy, but <laughs> I was like, wow, this has everything that I wanted in a heist game kind of in it already. So it's kind of a bittersweet I'm backing it because it's a game I want to play, but it's also a game I wanted to make sad. <laughs> when you guys mentioned like just the heist theme, um, Monaco was one of the things that I jumped to and the game in my mind, I wasn't like designing it really, but the game that I thought about what I wanted to play looked a lot like this. So when I saw it, I was like, oh man, this is awesome. I don't have to make this game. Uh, <laughs> so I had the opposite effect of you. I can pay the money and get a cool little game, but... Uh, I think it looks like fun, and maybe now Dan won't play it with me because he'll be like, I wouldn't have done this. I would have designed it differently. I've heard it's really hard from yeah. some people I've talked to on <clears throat> Twitter and stuff, and I don't know. Something about co-ops and just their need to just make things extremely hard. I don't know if that's their you know, rationale for replayability, et cetera, but well, that's, that's kind of getting yeah. annoying to me. I'm just, I think I'm just getting fed up with co-ops a bit more than I used to be? Well, the co-ops co are you against the game, so the only way to change that is to change the difficulty. I get that, know? and I just it's just one of those things that, you know... Yeah. It's a good price point. I considered it just for the price point, because um, of the cool little box and stuff, but I don't know if I need another co-op game that I can't beat. I just... There's I already enough of them. I've got Ghost Stories, Robinson Caruso, a couple, you know, just... Yeah, a couple that I'm just like, eh. so how often will this he play? I don't know. Yeah, I think it makes more sense. I like love the theme, as Tiff said. I've yeah. been working on heist stuff. So. Well, <laughs> so hey, there sad. are many of these, so maybe you guys can do it differently. But uh, well, this one looks more dice. I didn't have dice in the one I was thinking of. So well, there you go. Your design lives on. Uh, yeah, this one definitely looks screw cool. dice. <laughs> dice are stupid. <laughs> so thirty bucks gets Burgle Bros in your hand at the end of the year. Go ahead and check it out. It'll end on April 4th. So 
And those, that's our Kickstarter Spotlight, short and sweet. Uh, let's talk about some news stories, because I know some cool things are coming out. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> this is the news. <laughs> Would you say that this is Dan H. with the news? This is, I don't use my last initial. I don't know why we use that on the site, but um, I'm just Dan, to those who know me. Hi, this is Just Dan. Hi, this news. is Dan. Just Dan with the news. Ladies, just Dan. we're gonna do a spinoff show called Just Dan. Just Dan, it'll be my, yeah. Anyways, our NPR. Um, so this week in the news, there was a ton of expansion stuff. So um, one that Matt is probably wetting himself over. Literally, this is kind of a pun, and I, I didn't wa- mean it to I, be. Oh God! Can I say it? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, say it. Abyss is getting an expansion. So it's going to become a simple set collection game into a simple set collection game with an expansion, and uh, but it's an awesome expansion. It sounds so cool. You know, it sounds cool. So this was teased by Mr. Cathala himself after his uh, trip to the uh, Festival des Jeux in uh, Cannes, France, uh, a couple weeks ago, which is like a big French festival for games, which I hope to go to someday uh, when I learn how to speak French. Um, but this, I think they haven't really said when this will be out, but from, I like, think everyone's saying Gen Con, everyone's saying Gen Con, he seemed to be pretty advanced in his prototyping stages. Um, but this will add, um, what the hell is this going to add? Um, this is going to add, um, multi allies. So even more colorful little fish people to buy. Um, it's going to have black pearls and not the pirate ship. Um, these are the actual currency in the game but i believe these black ones are gonna have a negative effect to some if you have them at the end of the game i think it's like corruption kind of thing yeah so they're gonna penalize um you're also gonna have a new i guess class of lord or fish called the smugglers oh they sound so cool and the sentinels um i don't know what they're gonna do um he just teased those they'll probably steal stuff and or guard people from stealing your stuff if i was gonna hazard a guess i can't wait to see the art um, and then some new locations that are going to be more risk reward. So they're going to be um, beneficial to you, but also have some sort of downside to them. Um, for me personally, and you'll see this um, by the time this releases, our Abyss review will be on the website. Yep. For me, the locations, and I think Tiff agrees with me on this as well. The locations are so, and I'm, I'm hesitant to say superfluous, but they don't really necessitate paying attention to them in the base game for me you can win the game without the locations mm-hmm. and for me it's it's kind of silly because the whole premise and the whole theme of the game is you're influencing lords to then influence locations within the sea to become you know the head fish guy but you can really win if you do look at locations if you i guess but i think you're not helping yourself no. if you ignore locations i i don't think so but you could just as well win getting to seven lords quicker than everyone else true still love it also can't wait (laughs) i would love yeah i would just love to see the locations have a little bit more of a um a focal point the other thing is coming out is the art book yeah they're also Uh, releasing an art book i'm gonna have seven art books on my non-existent coffee table i can't wait if you haven't heard abyss has some pretty good artwork um it's got some fishes it's got some underwater locations there's some seaweed and coral um, Can I rely on you guys to pick this up for me if I'm not at Gen Con? <laughs> yeah, I'll get this. I'm very nervous. I have to get it. I have the game. <laughs> well, you need to give me one. Oh, the art book. 
I thought you meant the Both. expansion. Oh, yeah. All of it. I will get it. This is the expansion. And I'll get the art book. For hey, you. Tiff. I don't like that face. What? For those listening at home, <clears throat> Tiff is giving Matt a face. And it's not a nice face. It's a, will you shut up and stop talking about Abyss? Talk about a game that I like, right. Five Tribes. So, <laughs> so let's move on to Mr. Cathala's other big hit of 2014, and that's Five Tribes. Remember that. Five tribes. Um, he has announced that there will be a sixth tribe. Mind blown. That's all I have to say. So there's going to be a sixth tribe. If that's um, not news, I don't know what is. I know. This is, this is breaking crap right here. So are they going to provide a sticker for your box? They need to. They need to put either like a sticker that gives you a plus symbol so you can have five plus tribes or like or more or a sticker, five or more tribes or a sticker before it that is like the greater than sign so greater than five tribes oh, that's pretty good you could alter there's a lot of options out there yeah. but the new tribe uh is the artisans who will be crafting stuff um hopefully they don't craft too much more ap because this game already suffers from it um but i don't know i'm interested they're also going to put um mountainous regions so the some of the new tiles that they're going to have to expand the board will have restrictive movement so think maybe like great heartland hauling company with some of the restrictive tolls and stuff like that they're going to have that sort of thing um within this expansion and i think there's a couple of other fancy things like magic carpets and scimitar i don't know what he's going to do with swords but i might stab myself if i play this game with too much more ap isn't news supposed to be unbiased, Dan? No. <laughs> this is not unbiased. This is good news. Clearly. Welcome to Dan's opinion of the news. The scimitar is for you to commit seppuku. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I don't love oh, this. Oh, no. We're not game, getting into it again. It. Stop it. Let's Next leave it news story. Next Anyways, news story. The next one is a game I'm also not too enthralled oh, by but it's a uh, tiny epic kingdom so the kingdom is getting less tiny and hopefully more epic this is the let's expand all the games Dan doesn't care about news section it's basically <laughs> me writing it I was like wow I'm not excited for anything I'm excited for a bit I'm so though. excited I'm so scared <laughs> um, so the new tiny epic kingdoms expansion is called heroes call um, this was just announced recently from Gambling Games. It's going to introduce new factions. I don't there's know why. Like there's already like them. 45 <laughs> expansion, or factions in the game already, but you know what? I'm not going to get into this. Um, new regions, so a couple of more little tiles to, for you to traverse. Um, some new mechanics. God, I hope they're good because it needs new mechanics. Um, fine. <laughs> and a new resource type. So, yeah. So another tiny, tiny little... <laughs> meeple figure that you have to move around the board now. yes <laughs> so uh, this is going to be on kickstarter go figure it'll probably blow up the internet um this summer so and with an anticipated release date of early 2016 so you know uh you know cool i hope it does i personally don't care for the base game all that much i actually traded mine away for a very nice return um but i don't think it's a i don't think it's a bad game i just think it needs something and i'm hoping this expansion adds it yeah um and then i guess two last quick things um one more expansion to announce for all those addicted to their ipad hearthstones or their pc hearthstones um blizzard announced at pax east a new expansion called blackrock mountain uh this is going to add um 
new single player bosses, some other unique abilities. I think 31 new cards in total. So a couple of cool things for all you addicts out there to get your fix. Um, I like Hearthstone, but I can't see myself getting into it like I did World of Warcraft TCG. But it's a good game. It's a good game for when I'm just sitting there bored and I need a quick fix of something. So stay tuned for that. Um, You can pre-order it March 19th. Uh, All pre-orders will get a special card back for their um, in-game cards, and the game will be live in April. Cool. Uh, Last thing, just a quick reminder, BGGCon registration is now open for all of those interested. Um, Last year, I think it sold out in a a few weeks, so it wasn't as quick as like a Dice Tower Con, which sold out in like four hours or something like that. Um, But you can go on BGG.com or BoardGameGeek.com and sign up. I think the main hotel is sold out, but they do have other options um, for and shuttles to some of the other local ones. So I tentatively plan to be there, so come say hi to me. And I don't know if any of these other schmoes will be there, but if they are, they'll be with me and say hi to them too. Yep, yep. Apparently from what I hear, this is the one to go to. This is the up-and-coming con. That's, that's killing all me. the cool kids are at. I can't make a decision. <laughs> So that's the news. So, so now that Tiff is struggling with her BGG con plans, we will go ahead and take a break while she calms down. And when we come back, we will talk about our top 10 filler games. This is Dan, and that's the news. <laughs> yes, that is your new sign off. Welcome back, everyone. Now we're going to jump into our top 10 list for today. It is our top 10 filler games. So for us, I think that when we look at fillers, we are mostly looking at kind of time length and mechanical weight of games. We're looking for something that's under 45 minutes, under a half hour, um, that has relatively easy mechanics to pick up and play, turns are quick, not a lot of downtime. Any other things that we're thinking about when we think fillers? They fill time. They fill time. It's those little games that you like to play either a bunch in quick succession to fill a, fill an hour or maybe in between some of the heavier games that you're playing. It doesn't necessarily have to be super portable, but that typically happens, you know, low component count and more portable, but not a qualification for us necessarily. So we are going to jump in with number 10. Dan, kick us off. Uh, my number 10 is a series of games, so I'm cheating a little bit, but it's Timeline. Um, I love these little games. They're educational, they're quick, um, they're portable, and it's just it's just a good time. It's one of those things you can pull out with anyone. I actually play it, you know, while I'm eating dinner in between, you know, plates. I can put it out. Um, it's just one of those games that's, yeah. it's good. You get to flex your brain a little bit. Yeah. Uh, replayability at some point becomes an issue, but there's enough of them that you can just buy another one and try something then different. Then you start shuffling them together. Yeah. I almost have this on my list. I really like the Cardline series, too. It's the similar kind of thing, but Cardline Animals, I think anybody will play. It's a good filler. Good choice, Dan. I would group Cardline with Timeline. Yeah. Yeah. You could. I like them all. And they're cheap. They're only like 12 bucks. Yeah. They come in little tins. All right, Tiff, you're number 10. My number 10 is Coconuts, which is like a Korean dexterity game where you have little monkey launcher dudes and you put little rubberized coconuts and you shoot them at your opponent's pyramid of cups and you're trying to take their cups um yeah it's fun (laughs) 
It's not coconuts. You're definitely flinging poo. They're little di- tiny poop balls. No, coconuts. No, you're flinging poo. Yeah. Well, you put that the ruins poo it in for the me. coconut and flick it at your friend. <laughs> that ruins it for me. Thanks a lot, guys. Coconuts is a good time. My favorite is when you have to do the long shot card and we like lean back and you have to like... I don't know. It's one of those things that, like, with us, when you get the brothers together, it's like, oh, I can shoot this shot from across the room. It turned into uh, Michael Jordan versus Larry Bird Big Mac commercials. Yeah, it's pretty pretty fun. Uh, it's a good time, though. Coconuts is good. And now they have Coconuts Duo out, so you can go up to six players or play with two players. So good range on that one. All right, and my number 10 is higher up on other people's lists, so we'll go ahead and move on to our number nines. All of our number nines are higher up on other people's lists, so we will move on to people's number eights. <laughs> uh, and Dan, it's back to you with your number eight. Uh, number eight is my favorite trick-taking game. It's Chronicle from Seijay Kanai, and I think Z-Man put this out in one of their little small box games. Um, it's a trick-taking game, but with a unique twist of having a goal every round. Um, each card, in addition to having like the, the numerical... Um, value also has a power and just the the timing of when you play your cards and trigger the different powers in order to you know manipulate your tableau um, and your hand to best accomplish the goal it's it's really cool it's slick it's easy to pick up on um, and it's a lot of fun yeah it's one of those trick-taking games that takes the focus off trick-taking and more onto like these interesting card abilities so you almost don't feel you might even be able to play this tiff you don't feel like you're playing a trick-taking game it's just that's like one of the pieces of this kind of individual ability and like rule following puzzle. It's pretty cool. So uh, we will go to number eight. Tiff, this is a strange game. What is this? Kittens in a blender. <laughs> Please <laughs> describe. <laughs> so Tiff for what? Sometimes between games, Tiff likes to stick kittens in blenders. And no, no, no. That's cool because cats suck. I'm not a cat person, <laughs> so this one. Is fine with me. You've you've got to take the humor with a grain of salt if you're a cat person. Like I know at my game store, they will not sell this game because it's kittens in a blender, and they're very pro cat. So um, it's it's a joke. No one's encouraging blending kittens. It would yeah, probably we don't condone blending kittens. Just it probably would. That's work. a podcast stance. Let, yeah. Let that be known. Yeah. Do we condone not blending kittens? To each his own. <laughs> Proceed, Tiff. <laughs> so basically, you have a hand of cat cards. They're different colors. One of the colors belongs to you. Um, you're you're placing down two cards per turn, either um, down on the counter, into the box, or into the blender. There are some special ones that let you manipulate where the, the kittens go, and there's blend cards that will blend up kittens, and ones that can stop blending. So... Basically, you're just, it's it's kind you're of sadistic. I know. It's just strange. It's just, you so, play this with people? Yes, people love it. It's great. I I've considered. I don't even like cats, and this just sounds mean. You're blending cats. What's next? Kittens in a juicer? You're gonna squeeze them to death, Tiff? Huh? You're not gonna but blend it's, them? It's fun. It's just fun. Okay. Why don't you so, put hamsters in a constant wheel and just watch until their legs fall? You are sadistic issues girl sorry woman (laughs) (laughs) that's the part that you're worried about okay all right well now (laughs) now that you're done i'll finish that's tips number eight (laughs) in a blender no 
it's fun. You're just trying to get your your kittens in the box and your opponent's kittens into the blender. Oh, you're trying to save kittens. Yeah, I'm saving my kittens. But only the good ones. Yeah. It's All the right. the artwork is adorable. Just take a peek at it. It's adorable. The, the kittens, adorable. It's called the kittens, kittens in the that you're blending blood are everywhere. So it's so cute. <laughs> Well, my number eight has nothing to do with cruelty to animals. Mm-hmm. It's more about stealing people's money. Uh, kind of. This is Diamonds, also a trick-taking game from Mike Fitzgerald and Stronghold Games. In a reasonably sized box. In a reasonably sized box, you're right, with nice shiny components. Uh, great little trick-taking game. Basically takes classic trick-taking games like Hearts and Spades, rounds out the uh, quadrilogy of clubs, hearts, spades, and... Did you just say quadrilogy? Yeah, I think so. Is that a word? It's a word. Is it? I have the Aliens quadrilogy on DVD. Whatever. She doesn't watch Resurrection, though. You would just put a quadrilogy in a blender. I like Resurrection. Anyway, Diamonds is a great trick-taking game. If you like classic trick-taking games, I think this is a good intro-level filler to to transition people who may have played like classic card games into a little more gamery games. So I think Diamonds is great. My number eight. All right, moving on to our number seven, Dan. My number seven, again, is kind of a series of games, but they're all the same mechanic, uh, and that's Animal Upon Animal from Haba. Um, again, any of them, Balancing Bridge, Normal, the, the Swiss mountain trekking one, I don't know, any of them. Um, these are just simple stacking dexterity games. Um, as you all know, I love dexterity games, and this is probably the best, if not one of the best there is, so... You can play with anyone, just don't give it to small kids because they'll choke on the pieces. They might not. Those pieces are giant and chunky. Well, the the originals are tiny. Tiff's number seven is higher on people's list, and we will stop teasing her for a second so that we can talk about my number seven, One Night Ultimate Werewolf. I think this is a fantastic filler game. It takes Werewolf, which hosts a lot of people and takes a lot of time, condenses it down to 10 players in five minutes. It's a fantastic time. You can play multiple rounds in a night, in an hour, in a half hour. You can play this game a bunch. I think it's a great filler. It's definitely one that our family likes. And, yeah, One Night Ultimate Werewolf. Werewolf's in a blender. <laughs> Tiff just, like, Tiff's afraid <laughs> to talk. I'm afraid to talk now. But She's afraid lot, to talk guys. now. Uh, let's go ahead and jump uh, to we're my gonna, number. We're going to PETA. Like, throwing, like, fake blood on our podcast now because of you. It's just a game. Relax. So, nice fur coat, Tiff. For those listening at home, Tiff's sitting there basking in the glory of her raccoon coat. I love animals. I have so many of them at my house. I have everything except cats. Yeah, that's, Maybe we know Maybe because why. I have or have <laughs> yeah, not blended Because they're them. all in a blender. <laughs> all right. Uh, this is my number 10, Dan, your number 6. Number 6 is Jaipur, a two-player game from, this is Sebastian Pouchon, I think, um, who's done other games. <laughs> who's done other games? Um, this is, um, this is only a two-player game, but it is my favorite two-player game. It's a, just a quick card game, um, hand management, um, yeah, that's all I have to say about it. You can say more about it. It's awesome. It is awesome. Yeah, little little bit of market trading, trying to get those uh, sell-off goods first. You're trying to balance between selling larger sets or selling for higher value. Um, there's camels and little baby pandas hidden on the camels. Definitely a lot of fun. Plays really quick. Yeah. We have a review on nonsensicalgamers.com. That's our site. <laughs> I like that game. Camels in a blender. That's all uh, I'm going to say. <laughs> Tiff, your number six involves no animals. 
Okay. My number six is Las Vegas. It's a Rudiger Dorn, um, push your luck, dice rolling. I, I have yet to meet anyone who didn't find this one to be fun. You know, every turn you just roll your dice, you place one on a corresponding uh, casino, and you're kind of hoping to to be able to take the money from the that casino by having the majority. Am it I explaining this right? Cool, like exciting dice rolling moments. Yeah. Yeah. It's all dice rolling moments. <laughs> <laughs> towards the end, uh, the beginning is kind of like it's just on rails, but then at the end, when you're picking and yeah. based on your roll and it's like ah oh, finally roll this yeah good Pretty game cool. it was cool. probably well <laughs> i was reading the description of it and it says the developer set describes it as an easy dice rolling fun and luck game with a lot of interaction and schadenfreude who doesn't love schadenfreude which i thought was kind of like the most awesome description of a game ever no got nothing <laughs> thanks guys thanks for backing Sounds me up good. You just, that's in the Board Game Geek description. I just thought it was funny. That, you sold me on Schadefreude or Wiener Schnitzel, whatever you just said. Okay, Dan. This is getting out of hand. My oh, number wait. six is probably one that pushes the limits of filler's game, filler, filler games, but definitely is one. It is Camel Up, which is an awesome little racing betting game. If you've played it with some people before, you can probably get it under half hour, 45 minutes. Um, definitely a good one to fill time, play a couple games back to back. Everyone that we've played loves this game. We have not played with anyone who doesn't like it yet. I think it's an awesome little game. And that is my number six. Spiel des Jahres. Yeah. One over Splendor. The, yeah. wor- the world thinks it's good too. So. <laughs> or <laughs> some German people. Splendor didn't win. Uh... Dan, Calm down. number five, which is also tips number nine. My number five is a Bluxen, or for us Americans, Linko. Uh, this is a game from Kramer and Kiesling, and it's got cutesy little foxes on it um, in all sorts of different colors. I think they're lynxes. Lynxes. Yeah, that would make sense for the Linko part. <laughs> no, note to self. Now it all comes together. Um, anyways, they look kind of foxy, though. But it's a, a it's a hand grin. management game. You're just trying to be the first person to get rid of all your cards. It's got a cool little mechanism where you're playing cards in front of you into a tableau, snatching other people's cards. They're snatching yours. It's just a really quick, um, fun game. I suck at it. I don't think I've ever won this game, but I love playing it. It's I'm, hard. It's a tricksy little game. It's one of those that the more you play it, it just the depth kind of unravels not unravels it reveals itself sorry that's uh, the word i wanted not unravels that's it's a very dumb. elegant description um it just reveals itself a little more so i'll eventually get it the more i play it so tiff it was your number nine what do you dig about it all those things that dan said basically <laughs> i don't I'm know steal the thunder dan what i mean it's a I, I feel like for filler games there's not a whole lot you can say like other than the description of the game it's kind of nice because it's got a little bit of like screwage going on because you could take other people's sets of cards and make them discard cards or make them get rid of those sets and that's kind of nice and you're you're trying to balance that against like okay if i make them discard cards and they're trying to draw up cards are they going to get something even better you know when is the game going to end it's it has a nice tension to it yeah yeah well go ahead and tell us a little bit about your number five my number five is rolling japan which i think i talked about last time um yeah i think so this one sort of fired quicks for me 
because it has that same sort of feel. You draw out two dice, you roll them, um, and then you can mark um, the number in a corresponding box on the score sheet. And the trick is you can't put the numbers, they have to be um, one or one greater, one less, or the same. So you kind of get blocked out um, and you have to put X's when you can't put a number on your map. So it just kind of, it has that same thinkiness of quicks, but it has a more spatial element to it. And it can play any amount of players and not slow down because it's all kind of simultaneous. Cool, cool. And this was your uh, hipster highlight from yeah. last episode. Yeah. So definitely go check it out if you want to hear a little bit more. So my number five is Tessin, which is a simultaneous uh, set collection game that you play at the same time. It's super kind of crazy and rapid, and you're playing cards onto your opponent's field, and they're playing onto yours, and you're trying to collect sets and steal animals. Um, and then you, it all comes to a really quick end, and then you take a breather, and then you start it again because you play a couple rounds in a row. Um, super fun. I really like simultaneously card playing games. Um, they're hard to get people to play because you really got to be in the mood to like frantically play cards and and like exhaust yourself really quick. Um, but this is definitely a fun game. It's super cheap. Um, it is only two players, but it's one that I like to break out. I love Tessin. It's a good game. So Dan, you're number four, which is also my number nine. Uh, number four is from the great, honorable oh, Antoine Bauza. The man, the myth, the legend, the future father of my child. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> How does that work? Um, oh, my. There's a French connection there. I could probably make something work. Which way does the blood flow for that to work, Dan? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Please tell us about fireworks. <laughs> Anyways, so Hanabi. So this was, uh, what was the Spieljars winner two years ago, 2012? 13, something like 12, that. Maybe 13, yeah. maybe. Um, this is a cooperative game. And it's basically, you're not even like winning or losing. There's just a, you know, a degree of which you succeed. Um, and it's a lot of fun. It's it's one of the, f the first games, I think, at least that I played, where you're holding your cards backwards and you don't know what you have in your hand. And through deduction and kind of just clever communication with your fellow uh, players, you're trying to deduce what you have and play cards in specific order to create a great fireworks show. Mm -hmm. um, I love this game. It's portable. It comes in a tiny little tan. You stick it tan. It comes in a tin that you stick right in your pocket. And yeah, it's Bowser. So that's all you need to know. I really want the not so portable chunky tile version, but it's expensive. But the game's definitely fun. It's super. They should use this. They should use this for like team building exercises because it's goofy and you know works on your communication. And playing this with mom is hilarious because she's really awful. And everyone seems to play this game that cheating way where you emphasize certain things you're like this card is a blue and so are these other two cards but this card is a blue it's kind of funny just to to see the dynamics that arise socially in hanabi i think it's fun but that is your number five and my number nine tiff your number four is higher up on our lists so it was my four did i say five yeah that was your number four and my number nine so, Tiff, your number four is higher up on our list, so we're going to move right along to my number four, which is Sushi Go, and that was your number seven, Tiff. What do you dig about Sushi Go? Um, I like drafting. I mean, that's pretty much all the game is, is you're just drafting cards, you're trying to collect different kinds of sets in order to get points. It's super adorably cute. No matter what version you have, the artwork is good. I don't know. 
it's it's something you can bust out with just about anyone and they'll have fun playing it yeah i think i'm with you on that one this is kind of quintessential drafting um it's a great way to teach drafting if your friends have never played a drafting game um it's super easy to score i do think that this might get replaced by best treehouse ever when i get some more plays of that but uh you know i think that this is a great little game so i like it too no you don't (laughs) i do it's in my top 20 it's just we play it so much i just need something different all right well let's talk about a very cool game your number three which is also my number three and tiff's number four i think we're all in agreement that this is an awesome game this game is amazing parade is a japanese game designed by naoki homa um most recently released by z-man um with a really cool alice in wonderland theme to it um the artwork is phenomenal and in this game you're just there's a line of cards the parade of cards and you're playing cards to the end of the parade to manipulate which cards you take uh, into your tableau. Um, The key being that your tableau is what scores at the end of the game. So you want cards that are of lower values or you wanna be able to make them lower values by having the most of them. So um, really simple mechanics, but um, a lot of cool depth to the way you play your cards and manage your hand um, using the parade itself. So I love this game and this is for Ben Pinchback. It's better than Potato Man. Well, at least we included one person in, in enjoying that moment. That's good. <laughs> I dig Parade, too. Tiff, you dig Parade, I assume, for a lot of the same reasons. Yep, Parade is great. Everyone should own it. It really is fantastic. You should go get it. Most of the Z-Man small box games are pretty good. Uh, so jumping up to number two, Dan, your number two, which is also Tiff's number three. Go ahead, Tiff. Turn the tide. Woo! Or Land Unter, if you have the German version. Um, so, Turn the Tide, you're rescuing sheep, I guess, is the theme there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. From a flood that goes higher than lighthouses? Something like that. Uh, so, Turn the Tide, it's really simple. Basically, there are two lighthouse cards that are going to go out in front. They're, they're like 1 to 12 or something like that. And then in your hand, you're simultaneously bidding to either get those or not get those. Um, at the end of that round, whoever has the highest number lighthouse card loses a life. And play goes around. The cool thing about Turn the Tide is that you have these set hands that you each person you're playing with gets a chance to play with your same hand. So your hand gets passed around the table um, and you play as many rounds as there are players. So I don't know. It's kind of neat. It's super thinky for such a small game. And yeah, that's Turn the Tide. Stefan Dora. He's good. Except for Amazonas. I didn't play that. (laughs) Jeez. Yeah, Turn the Tide should probably be on my list. I'm I'm reevaluating as we speak, but... I don't know. It's hard. It's just tough it's to pick. It's really good. It's quite good. It's quite good. And it establishes that like internal kind of meta game between the players with I played that hand better than you did and yeah. it's yeah. it's a lot of fun. Go back to a few episodes ago and check out our filler feature on Turn the Tide. That was like episode 3. Was it? Oh my gosh. No, it was like episode like 10. Was it? Yeah. All right. Go listen to them all. Go listen to all the episodes and until you get to the filler feature and then keep listening from there. So, Tiff, your number 2. It's another Stefan Dora. It's for sale. I love for sale because it's just so easy to teach. And, and, and there are two phases in the game that you can teach separately. So the first phase is you're bidding your money to get different properties. 
the second phase is you're selling off those properties in a similar manner but um it's it's just really quick really fun it's the kind of game where you you play it and you just play it a couple of times in a row for sale fantastic always good always good gentlemen top, top 15 yeah Jumping over to my number two, it is Hare and Tortoise, which is part of that uh, Storyteller game series. Um, this game, we played a couple months ago, and it's just, just shot to the top of my filler uh, list because it's got really interesting gameplay with the card card mechanics and the racing, the way that the animals move. For some reason, I'm just like, I'm in love with this game. I think it's a great little game, and I think that all that it accomplishes in such a small kind of container and design I'm just really impressed with it, and that's kind of why it shoots so high. It's always fun to play, and every time I play, I think, this is such a good little game. Uh, so it is my number two, and it was it almost made your list, Dan. Almost. It was my number 11. Yeah. So let's go ahead and wrap it up with our number one favorite filler games. So Dan, he's going to cheat for his number one. I'm not cheating. <laughs> this is something that can be played rather short now if you're talking size of the game this is a little larger because of the yeah, box we did size. not say that that was necessary know, so saying. we're good but i think from a mechanical standpoint once you understand it and we could just be talking base game here um as well as from a time standpoint this can be played rather quickly and that is seven wonders from the great honorable amazing antoine balza father to be um so I don't even really have to get into Seven Wonders. I think if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have some idea what Seven Wonders is, but easily my favorite drafting game ever. Um, quick, relatively um, easy to understand, and a lot of depth. Yeah. If you if you qualify it as a filler, I think it's easy to put it at the top of your list, too. I think with experienced players, you could easily get a game of this done in less than 30 minutes. Yeah, I can agree with that. Scorekeeping takes you 15. <laughs> well, I think that's like where maybe we don't 100% agree on the definition of filler. I think to be a filler, it has to teach in a short amount of time. And I don't think Seven Wonders teaches so. in a small Pick a card and pass a card. Done. I can teach that. They're not going to play well, but they know how to play. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Figure out the strategy on your, set, on your own. Good luck. Here right. you go. I think it teaches easy. I just think, like I said, the depth there is just perfecting how you play it yeah well tiff your number one favorite filler my favorite is ghost blitz or geista splits this is just kind of one of those um pattern recognition games uh it's a speed game so you're you're putting out a card how the it hell has is a... this your number one <laughs> if wait, it's a speed wait, game let the woman talk <laughs> I'm allowed to like different games from you, okay? It doesn't have to be a cult. Why isn't your list the same, Tiff? (laughs) Just say, I like Seven Wonders 2 and we'll get to me. I like Seven Wonders. Is it a filler? No, but that's a totally different discussion. All right, Ghost Blitz. Let's hear it. (sighs) I'm just nicer than you guys. That's what it boils down to. That is a fact. (laughs) I'm not debating that. So Ghost Blitz, you put out a card, it has a set of objects on it, um, a, a ghost, a mouse, a chair, and you're, you're trying to find one of two things. Either if one of the objects is represented exactly as it is. So if there's a white ghost on the card, you would grab the white ghost object and you would win that card as a point. If... Um, if the objects are 
co are completely incorrectly covered, you're trying to grab the one that's missing. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and, and that's how you win. So it's kind of just this, you don't, you don't know what you're looking for. It's fun farm is kind of like that. It, it's just object recognition. It's just kind of really fun, really quick. You can pull it out. It's in a really tiny box. Um, there's actually an app for it, which you wouldn't think would be as much fun, but it kind of is because I play it when I'm bored a lot. So. <laughs> I don't know. I Normally, I'm not really great at speed games, but this is just one of those ones that appealed to me right away. So it's got nice chunky wooden pieces. It's simple to explain and yeah i like it cool sorry cool. dan no, I, I just <laughs> don't i didn't see you having a speed game as your number one that's all we appreciate all values and opinions i think it's a good game i think it's a good game i just didn't see gamers. tiff putting a speed game number one i know she always know. says i hate speed games <laughs> I hate most speed games. <laughs> there are some speed games that i enjoy and tiff this is one of them that's why it stands Ghostlets. out ghost Blitz is good i'm not arguing the pick all right. Well, I'm going to round out our number ones. And my game is also Dan's number nine, and this is Eggs and Empires. So this is the reason that For Sale did not make my list. Eggs and Empires is officially a game that I always keep in my bag. I do not take it out of my game bag anymore because I think it's my favorite filler. I break it out with all kinds of people whenever I can. Um, I think that I like For Sale, but I think I like Eggs and Empires better. And I know that the reason that I compare the two is because I know that For Sale was kind of the underlying inspiration. So Tiff is looking at me like Dan looked at Tiff when she said Ghost Bliss. So No, no, I'm not. I'm just, that is really high praise. Those Fleeple guys are going to be so happy when they hear that because they love For Sale. I know they do. And, uh, you know, I think that their game is better. But what the heck do I know? I don't know. Maybe they'll say, Matt, you're dumb. <laughs> you shouldn't like our game better. I don't think they would say that. Eggs and Empires is good. I think it's fantastic. I think that it's my favorite filler these days. And I think that that's, you know, if you want to harp on, on that, it's my favorite filler. I don't know if you want to say what's better or if for sale is a better game or not. I'm not making that evaluation. I think that Eggs and Empires is my favorite game, and I will break it out whenever I can. So that is our top ten filler games. So that segment is done. We're going to go ahead and take a break, and when we come back, we will have an interview the filler with king. the filler king. Mr. Jason Katarski. So come back and join us. All right, everyone. We are joined by the filler king himself, Mr. Jason Katarski. He is the head of Green Couch Games. He is the designer of excellent games such as Great Heartland Hauling Company, Fidelitas, and Dead Drop. And he is the host of the 20 Minutes of Filler podcast on the Dice Tower Network. So he is here joining us today to chat about some of the new projects he has on the horizon, as well as just talk some filler nonsense with us. So Tiff, I know you had a very specific way you wanted to start this, so how about you kick us off? We need the definitive Jason Katarski definition of a filler. Go. Oh, this feels so official. Yeah, it is. Oh. It has to be. You have to settle it. <laughs> well, on, on our show, we define it um, with just a few kind of... Uh... A kind of kind of guidelines really that it has to be a game that is easy to teach um that it has to be a game that uh, has an approachable theme and it has to be a game that plays in less than an hour preferably closer to less than 30 minutes like 30 minutes is kind of like 
is is safe but there's some games that feel like a filler because of the simple mechanics the way that they go together that maybe play closer to an hour but i would still put them in the in the filler uh, category because of gameplay so that that's kind of where i'm at the, the other thing that i like to think about is um replayability like there's got to be lots of it you know so it's not i mean not all of them i guess that maybe gets into what makes a good filler you know like that it's replayable because there are surely fillers that are not very replayable that fit the other you know guidelines but uh the good ones usually, you know, you can be played more than once and enjoyed again. So, so this okay. was a leading question, if you couldn't pick up on Tiff's tone. <laughs> I have another question. Okay, So okay. Dan's, Dan's not here to defend himself, so I think it's the best time to ask a question about Dan. Um, is Seven Wonders a filler? Uh, I would say no. Yeah. Yes. It's not. I'd say it's no. Really I think there's too many, there's too many, there's too much variety in scoring uh, going on. There's too many symbols to teach. Like, surely you can play that game in 30 minutes. Um, but, but the, the learning curve's a little big. The, the, it's got a big footprint on the table too. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't call that a filler. I'd call it a kind of a, you know, maybe that gateway to kind of medium Euro yeah. level game, but. I feel good now. Thank you for that. I mean, that doesn't make Dan like less of a person, though, if he thinks. <laughs> no, I totally respect Dan as a person. Bit. Just saying because... he was wrong about Seven Wonders. <laughs> and I was right. That's all. We had, we had some things to settle because Dan assumes that because he can play Seven Wonders very quickly, that he can make it a filler. He yeah. can force it into the filler box. He's always yeah. breaking the rules on our list. So I, <laughs> I needed to take him to task here. Awesome. All right. Uh, but now that's let's okay. talk about you a little bit. All right. So (laughs) we got your definition of filler. So what is the appeal of fillers? How did you hone in on kind of that being your thing, your kind of game? Um, I think what what that came down to was, you know, I saw I got into games with settlers and ticket to ride and and games that are easy to teach, but maybe take a little bit, a little bit longer to play. Um, And I, and I, Carcassonne was on my other early ones. So that's, you know, 20, 30 minute game with, with two people. Um, But I just found that like I was getting into these, I was buying games and buying games and buying games when I first got into games, you know, some eight, ten years ago. And I just realized the ones that were getting played were ones that played in under an hour. Um, so I stopped buying the ones that, that, that played longer than that, unless there was something really special about it that I knew I was going to really love. So just over time, I learned about myself as a gamer that like that I enjoy those quick games. I'd rather play four or five games in a game night than one long game. Um, and I think part of that came down to playing games a lot with my wife. Um, she's my main gaming buddy, or she she was for quite a long time. And, and she didn't want to learn anything heavy, like, after dark. Like, the rules were, like, I either don't learn anything after dark, or we play something we know, or we play something that's quick. So... Um, that just became more and more what we were playing. And then I, I didn't have a game group around me. So I was teaching games a lot. So I wanted to teach games that were that were quick and easy to teach. So that's kind of what what really got me going on it. And then I think that I just I, I enjoy the um, there's a lot. It seems like there's a lot more social kind of interaction, in a lot of fillers. So I really enjoy that, too, like the the uh, the connecting with people part um, rather than just like you know, doing a spreadsheet or like uh, really hunkering down and trying to figure out like the best strategy. You know, I just I want to I want to see what happens. You know, I want to do something and see how it works out and see what kind of moments that creates. Gotcha. So on that, what are your top three fillers? Oh, my top three. Put ever? We just 
We just did our top ten, so I, I'm okay. kind of curious to see what. Don't what say your seven top wonders. <laughs> yeah, seven wonders is my number one. No, okay. Let me think. You're uh three, three, two, one. Okay, we'll do them. We'll do them that way. So number three, um, oh, sorry okay, to put this, you on the spot. No, it's, okay. it's okay. This may change next time you see me. Uh, Ink and Gold by Alan Moon and Bruno Fiduti. Yep. Yep. Um, fantastic pressure luck game where you uh, you're deciding if you're going to go deeper into this cave or you're going to run away with treasure. It's a nice uh, nice game, real good pressure luck game. Uh, number two, I'm probably going to say uh, no thanks uh, because it's it's super classic. It's like one of those super elegant games that I wish I could design, and it. It maybe doesn't have the theme and the the, the kind of the hook that a lot of games do, but it like it set the stage for every filler game to be compared to the simplicity and uniqueness and elegance of that game. And then my number one is uh, by uh, uh, Wolfgang Kramer, and it is Six Nymphed. Um, it's a card game uh, it, it, over here in the states. It's it's sometimes called Slide Five or Category Five. Yep. And that's just one of my all-time favorite card games. It's super simple. Like, I teach it while we're playing. I'm like, okay, everybody choose a card. Everybody flip it. And here's what happens. And the now for turn two, you know how these cards are going to interact. You just don't want to be the sixth card in any row where you take all these bad negative numbers. Um, and that's also uh, been put out with the the Walking Dead theme. It's the Walking Dead card game that you can, like, pick up a target and stuff like that. Uh-huh. But it's horrible screenshots from the TV show, and it's not a very attractive game to, to introduce to people unless they're super zombie nerds. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Six Nymphs is, is, a, is a, lot of, a lot of fun, and I've played that almost more than any other simple card game that, that I have. Yeah. That makes me sad. I think that's the one I was forgetting this morning when I was trying to make my list. Oh, I love that no. game. <laughs> yeah, those are pretty much staples. Yeah, those are great. Staples. Yeah, definitely. And there's, I mean, I feel bad leaving some of the ones off that I did leave out. But hey, I had three to choose. I mean, so. if you want to do a full top ten, we can oh, support that. Rattle them off. <laughs> go for so here's, it. Here's a few more that. Okay, so so Linko, which is a Bluxen, right? That's that's a great one. That one just came out like two years ago. That's it's one of the best for sale. Um, fantastic auction game um and then uh what's the other one i just said i just said for sale right mm-hmm. and now i'm losing i'm losing it that's it i got five right <laughs> that's fine that's good i think those are all on our lists too nice. Yeah. nice so anyways green couch jason i know you started that what was it last summer or so yeah just... yeah last last summer yep so what was the inspiration because i know you, you know you've got a couple of designs under your belt Obviously, fillers, filler-style games. One of my favorites, Great Heartland Hauling Company. It's definitely a top 20 for me. Um, so what was, yeah, just talk about your inspiration for it. Like, what really kind of pushed you into the publishing side of things? It's not an easy, not an easy dive. Yeah, I, I think that that's just my MO, like, is to do more. Um, whenever I, uh, I get involved in, in something, I, I just, I really, like, throw myself into it. And uh, uh, that happened when I was a, a punk rock musician. I learned a power chord and I started a band and put out records and went on tour. Like I had to do all the things, you know, <laughs> and I had to like spend my own money to make that happen kind of a thing. Um, and, I, and I've always been just super interested in, in making making things happen, kind of the entrepreneurial uh, drive. 
And um, I, I got into games uh, with my wife. She introduced me to Settlers after, you know, she played that in college. and was like, let's buy this geeky game. And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, I love this. And I went crazy and got super into it and <laughs> designed. It the Kool-Aid, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I uh, I got super into games and, and I decided to design one. And I, I made uh, the Great Harlan Holland Company for the Rio Grande Game Design Contest back in 2009, 2010. And... Uh, and that was fun. And I got really good feedback and people liked my game. And I came, I came really close to being one of the finalists in front of, uh, Jay Tomlinson, but I missed it by one point to an abstract strategy game. Oh, um, but then I was like, Hey, this game seems pretty cool. I'm going to send it around to some publishers. And, uh, I ran into one of them and they, uh, no longer do anything cool, but they signed it and they didn't do anything with it. And I went to a convention, to kind of meet some other people and just be in that scene and met uh, Chris Kirkman and uh, showed him the game. And he was like, let's do this. And I was like, what? So, <laughs> so we did it and it was great. And so then I, you know, the indie scene for, for game publishing is, is pretty awesome because um, a lot of the publishers want to work really closely with the designers. So Chris is really great with his designers. Like we developed back and forth. We were in constant communication. We, we, um, we're throwing ideas around a lot. He did the art and he'd show me every step of the way. He let me bug him about questions and um, kind of poke around. And, and, and I just realized that like, I, I like that process as much as I did like making a game. So I, I continued making some games and kind of pitching them to different publishers and, and just, just the way that my life was working out. I wanted to, to, to see how I could move this towards more of like a career type thing. Um, I had a lot of flexibility with my other, my other job uh, and wanted to kind of take a stab at, at trying publishing because being a designer is great, but you can only make a living if you're going to win the German game of the year, you know, a couple times <laughs> or, um, just sell a lot of high in the, in the U S a lot, a lot of high profile miniatures games, you know, which isn't my thing. So <laughs> playing 30 minutes um, so I, or less. Yeah. So I just thought, Hey, let's, let's, I'm going to give this thing a go. And I talked to my wife about it and she said, yeah, you should, you should give it a try. So it started as an experiment that, that I knew probably wasn't really going to be an experiment, but you know, you always got to call it an experiment in case it fails on your first try. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so I, I had already started kind of building a platform for, uh, for, I don't know, like for myself, my, whatever, my brand or whatever is like making these little games and then having a podcast about little games. Um, I knew those are the games that I wanted to uh, play and the games that I designed. So I thought, you know, it would be really cool to create a company that specializes in those little games, uh, those filler games. And it would be cool to be that company that, hey, people say I'm looking for a filler and other people say, well, why don't you go see what Green Couch has? Because there's a few uh, companies that I look to that do that do fillers, but that's not kind of all they do. And I, I wanted to, I want to be that. I think that would be fun. So, um, so I, I worked on a game that 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 I uh, designed with Philip DeBerry, and that was actually just the closest design that happened to be of my own that was done. And I didn't want to just put out my own game, so I thought it worked out perfectly that he was uh, working on it with me. So it would be a game that we we co-designed and took it to Kickstarter last August and uh, raised $40,000 and uh, sold 2,000 copies on Kickstarter. And just now in March, it's starting to get out into stores and um, it's being received pretty well. So, yeah, it's, I mean, I just I just wanted to do it. So I'm doing it. <laughs> Preach it, brother. Living the dream, man. So with, with that being said, how 
how has starting this publishing company affected Jason Katarski, the designer? Are you still, you know, highly involved in, you know, putting out your own games? Do you, do you plan on publishing your own games? Or are you still pitching? Like, how's that working with you on the design yeah. side? Yeah, I think the thing is that, you know, I only had a couple games, you know, of my own before I, I started the company. So I figure I'm a designer. I'm going to make games. It's great. But in that process, I haven't really found that I'm like somebody like Daniel Solis. I don't know if you guys follow him at all, but he's like got a game idea every minute and he posts it in real time on Twitter, it seems. So yeah. like he's always working on something and, and, and that's awesome. Um, I'm like, I have an idea or I don't work on anything until I have an idea that I like, and then I go for it. And then when I get stuck, I just stop for a while and I do something else and then I come back to it. So I don't always have a game. I mean, I always have something in the works, but it's not like, like every moment is filled up by, I need to, I need to iterate on my designs. It's like, sometimes I let them breathe. So I had this kind of downtime in between games that I was designing anyway. Um, so I think that as far as publishing my own games or not publishing my own games, it depends on what they what kind of mold they fit into. So if I'm making filler games, then maybe I will put put it out myself. Um, and that also depends on how many other people's games I put out because I don't want to become a, a vanity publisher. I want to work on games for other people and maybe have that ratio be somewhere like two to three to one of, you know, one of mine for every two or three of somebody else's games. Um, and. And I think it's fun to just be able to um, to still like be a part of this indie community of publishers and designers where like we go and we hang out at a, a, a convention like Origins or Unpub and we're showing each other games and like maybe I have a game that fits, you know, Dice Hate Me better than it fits my own company. Or maybe I have a game for, you know, I have a game coming out with Crash Games uh, this summer and they do a line of micro games and I made a micro game. So I, I pitched it to them. Um, so it, it's kind of cool to still be involved in that way. And like, we all help each other out by sharing in that way. Cause it's kind of like we're reaching into different audiences that way too. So, um, so I, I haven't really thought about it too much. I'm only, I'm getting ready to do my second game for green couch. And since starting green couch, I have, uh, I've had like two other games come out with other publishers or that are coming out with other publishers, uh, that I designed. So I'm still trying to figure it all out. Um, but so far I think that the friendliness of this industry uh, makes it not a huge issue. You know, I can be flexible and, and try different things. You're everywhere, dude. Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned, um, you mentioned Fidelitas or uh, as we like to call it, Fidelitas. Yeah, <laughs> Forever. You guys, Forever. you guys. Oh, this is the greatest name ever. Um, <laughs> So that was your kind of first foray into the whole publishing side of things. And you kickstarted that and you kickstarted really successfully. Um, we previewed it. We loved it. Everyone except for our brother, Mike, <laughs> which is amazing because when you saw him at Unpub, you still ridiculed him from that. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, you're the one that didn't like my game. Thanks, dude. Yeah. <laughs> but you're still willing to give everyone a hug, which is awesome. Um but I mean, you really you delivered that that product timely without any kind of hiccups. And now we all know that's just a facade. We know there were hiccups behind the scenes. <laughs> um, I'm curious. So we'll get into your second one in a minute. But what what kind of lessons did you take from your first Kickstarter that you know you put forth in this new one? And just kind of any advice for anyone 
looking to do something similar. Because even though it was a small, you know, just a small card game, relatively speaking, um, you know, I'm sure still a lot of work went into it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the biggest things that, that I knew I had to do is that w- w- I came in at this weird spot in where, like, I wasn't one of the early board game publishers on Kickstarter. Um, I was I, I entered the Kickstarter realm with my publishing company, like when it seems that everybody was right, like the kind of when it was there was just tons of options. So I knew that I had to do something to stand out. So I made sure that that all of my art was done, like for the most part, before I even before I hit launch, because I wanted to show people exactly what they were getting. And I wanted people to to know that I was serious, that I had I had done my homework. I put this together. I had, I was personally invested because I had to pay for that art and um, get it all ready to go. Have a good looking page. Um, you know, I sent out 30 review copies and got tons of feedback. I went to a couple of conventions to show off the uh, the the prototype too, just in the kind of open gaming and showing it to different bloggers and, and stuff. And so I, so I did a lot of homework up front to kind of get get rolling with that. And then I spent about a year before that um, on 20 Minutes of Filler kind of building that audience, you know, to make sure that I had people there on day one. So your Kickstarter can't start, you know, on the day that you launch it. Your Kickstarter starts a year in advance, you know, as you go out there and build that platform uh, and, and build that audience. Uh, and the other thing I learned was was about during the campaign – was had to do with interacting with with backers they all have great ideas and they all want to put their two cents in and stuff and there's some great ideas uh, but it can be really easy uh, to let that get out of control um and those the expectations sometimes from backers can be a little high uh and you can't just say yes to every cool idea so you have to learn to say no and you have to know your limits you have to know that you did your homework and roll with it so i did the thing like from the beginning of the campaign i said hey we have some stretch goals in mind Eventually, we are going to run out, and I'm not going to add any more, and that's going to have to be okay, you know. Like, and just telling people up front, this is what to expect, because I'm not going to throw stuff in on the fly um, that's going to add an expense that that I can't fully, you know, like count up front. You know, I'm not just going to do guesswork here because you guys are giving me money. I need to be responsible with that so I can actually deliver what I'm promising to deliver you. So. And so just learning to kind of listen and, and appreciate and take that stuff seriously because maybe there's some stuff I can tweak after I hear from, uh, you know, backers and stuff. But but also being confident in what I'm bringing to the market already so I don't have to say, oh, gosh, maybe 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 it's not any good. I need to add all these things in that these people are saying, you know. So confidence and homework are kind of the two biggest things I learned Um first time around and a lot of that came just from watching the people who were successful and how they do it you know gambling games oh my gosh they're they do that well dice hate me does it well you know uh just just there's some great models to follow um and pay attention to and learn all you can before you go out there and do it on your own yeah that's cool it's funny how you mentioned the backers too because it's so interesting to see like the vested interest of some people, it's like they own stock in a company and it's just that same passion, that same, I guess, need to be heard and get their input taken. But I mean, you mentioned it, you, you got to be able to filter out the noise and just, you know, it's your game. You got We've talked about this before on the show, you know, you got to keep the heart and the spirit of what you wanted it to be, but still kind of appease everyone, I guess is the word I'm looking for. You know, it's just, that's got to be tough. I don't know how Kickstarter uh, project managers do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think the reality is like, I mean, we can't do it without the backers. Right. 
Uh, yes. I love them. I love them. Even the ones that I don't want to love sometimes, you know, like I'm grateful <laughs> that they are there because they care, you know. But th- yep. like we, we the other thing is you ca- you can appease everybody and you got to know that going in and you got to be OK with that. Like and I'm a I'm a people pleaser. Like I like people to like me. Uh, so when they don't like, you know, I carry that around for half a day and I'm like, oh, man, maybe I should have done this. Or maybe I should have done that. And like the reality is like, hey, we're doing what we do. It's not going to hit with everybody. And uh, and that's going to be OK because, you know, it's going to hit with however many people it does hit with. And you're going to build your community and your your tribe from there. Yeah, no, that's a good that's good advice. So you, um, you actually kind of segued for me. You mentioned Gamelin Games, and they've been smashing Kickstarter records left and right with Mr. Scott Holmes, the designer of everything tiny. Um, <laughs> and you've got a new one coming out. You have Tiny Epic Treehouses <laughs> from designer Scott Holmes. Hey, now, that's so. trademarked. I think Tiny Epic yeah. is trademarked. Let's be careful. <laughs> I don't want Michael Cope calling me with a cease and desist here. <laughs> Tiny Epic, yeah, that's all right. We just tap the cards in that game, don't we? Is that what it is? Tap them? <laughs> Let's open all the um, worm cans. Oh, worm cans? That's my new game. Worm cans. The worm cans? Yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you'd have your new uh, new game coming out. I guess it'll be out the day after this releases, I think, um, if yep. we do everything correctly on our end. <laughs> Friday um, the 20th is when we're going to launch. Yep. Yeah, and this will be out on the 19th, this episode. So um, best treehouse ever, which is probably one of the best names ever. Um, I feel the constant need to ever to always say ever like you got to say it like that Valley Girl kind of style, but totally. I'm not sure if you went with that when you were thinking about it. That hasn't crossed my mind once, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for now. You have to appease me. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate I appreciate you and your input though. I value you as Remember a backer. those backers that you don't really <laughs> want to listen to, but you kind of have to listen to. Thanks, Dan. That's a great idea, Dan. That's great. <laughs> You know what? I'm just going to back for a dollar. <laughs> I'll take it, man. Just so I can comment. <laughs> um, but no, so you managed to um, pry Scott Alms away from Gamelin for, you know, a little bit of breathing time um, so you could get out of the tiny epic realm and get into a treehouse, basically. So best treehouse ever um, is your new one coming out. So why don't you just give us the quick elevator pitch on this for no, for anyone who's not kind of familiar with it. Absolutely. So best treehouse ever. I almost called it tiny epic treehouse. It almost came out. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Best it's treehouse ever. Ever. <laughs> is a, it's a drafting game for two to four players. It plays in about 20 minutes and it combines elements of drafting games like um, Sushi Go or Fairy Tale. Um, with a spatial uh, reasoning kind of element. So you, you choose from a hand of six cards. Uh, three rounds go by. Where it's three weeks that you're building your treehouse. And you're going to choose from a hand of cards uh, a certain color of a room, a type of a room. There's six different colors in the game. And then you're going to add that to a starting tree. And the way the trees are kind of... Um, it builds like an, an upside down pyramid the way that you build it. So you, you play to the um, on your starting tree, you play to one side or the other. And whatever side you play your new room on, you're going to move a balance marker uh, to the side that to, to, to mark which way your tree is leaning. And then in future turns, you can't play cards uh, on the side that your tree is leaning. You have to keep your tree balanced in order to work it out. And when you add colors, you can add a new color anywhere but you can add colors that are already in your tree um must be connected to other 
cards of that color, other rooms of that color. So it's just a super, uh, it's a, it's really interactive because you, the, the, the way that you're going to score this game is at the end of each of those three rounds is um, there's modifier cards that are chosen by the players to modify what the value is of each different colored room. There's two that are uh, going to cancel out uh, any scoring for two colors, and then there's two that are going to make the rooms worth two points a room rather than the base value of one point per room. And so you go around, you place these cards, and you have to pay attention to what other people are doing because you want to either um, get really far ahead in a certain color but want to be in the right player order for them not to cancel out your your score, or you want to just keep even with everybody so nobody gets an advantage over the other. So there's a lot of interaction where you're paying attention to every card that you choose, um, setting yourself up for uh, good scoring rounds at the end of the game. So it's just a really a really simple game. Adam McIver uh, did the artwork for it, and it is it's it's really colorful and playful. Right now, there's uh, 24 different uh, rooms in it in the six colors, and just really fun stuff like the observatory or the uh, the mini apple orchard, and and there's just some really goofy, cute, cute the artwork that, that Adam threw together. I had the hot, dog, hot stand. dog stands, and my treehouse is <laughs> the best ever. Nice. Just saying. Nice. You were well fed. You were well fed. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's the um, that's kind of the the overall idea. Um, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> now yeah. We, we've played it. We're going to be previewing it on our site this week. Um, we played it, I think we played it four or five times last night, actually. It's super quick, um, extremely easy to teach. I think uh, Matt and I taught, this wasn't my first time, but it was the first time for about four or five other people. Mm. Um, and we just knocked game after game out, and people were loving it. I mean, it was really helpful, like you mentioned before. It's got that basis in like something like Sushi Go, so people are familiar with that. They get, to, you know, they come to grips a little bit easier with the drafting mechanism, that kind of thing. Um, super colorful, looks awesome on the um, the actual, you know, the spatial aspect and the actual um, tree build itself. Looks really cool when it's done. It's you feel like you've done something. It's like an accomplishment in a way. Yeah, that's Your treehouse looks nice. <laughs> that's, that's my my favorite part of the game is like I, I love Sushi Go. You're you're collecting your sets, right? But like in this game, you're building something, and even if you lose the game, you look back at your treehouse and you're like, this treehouse, I would I would hang out in this treehouse. <laughs> <laughs> I would totally sleep in this thing. <laughs> now this game rivals Sushi Go for me, man, because it's equally as cute and colorful, and it's got a lot. It's got some more meat to it, man. I like the scoring. I like I like throwing down that you're not going to score this time and Dan's not going to get any points. That's the best feeling in the world. If, I could do... <laughs> if you could make I, Dan not get any points, I mean, that's I a good just, day. I love any I've game that gives me that opportunity. Game. I have not won this game. I didn't win oh, all no. this night. It's, it's such a good game. time, though. I really do. I just... Wow. When we throw down on... We usually throw down on fillers, you know, early in the weekend when we've got family hanging around. Um and we just crank through all kinds of, we just break out a stack of fillers and crank through them. But this one, we did two, three times in a row. And that's that's what we did when we got Sushi Go, when we got Fairy Tail. So it's got that feeling that it's kind of like an instant hit. And we're digging it a lot. Wow. So, I'm awesome. Yeah, Thank well, you. We talked about it a little bit before we started, but my middle school kids really loved it. Um, I think the Treehouse theme actually has a little bit more appeal than the Sushi theme. Because not every kid is into Sushi, but... I don't like Sushi. Right. Seriously. Right, so they were really into building their treehouse. They didn't even care about the scoring, really. Some of them were just like, I want 10 aquariums, let's go. <laughs> so awesome. they had a lot of fun with it. 
That's really cool. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that really stuck out to me when Scott Scott actually came to me with this game, uh, which was really flattering because nice. he's like blowing up Kickstarter, you know, with all his other games. And he came to me and he said, I think I have a game for your company that, you know, just fits what you want to do. And I'm like, well, I'll definitely look at it. And uh, he's like, it's it's about tree houses. And I was like, oh, my goodness, that's amazing. Like, I don't even know if I need to play this. It's such, such a good idea already. But then I played it and I was like, wow, you know, like. So it just it hit on all cylinders for me, um, and and that, that's the thing. Like, who hasn't dreamed of building a treehouse? Like, I didn't eat I didn't eat sushi until I was thirty five years old. <laughs> Wait, hold on, thirty four. I just turned thirty five. But uh, like, and I was like, oh, this is all right. Like, whatever. I'm not I'm not really <laughs> sure I'm into that. Like, I don't I'm not passionate about sushi. But I mean, like, I still want, I just I watched one of those reality shows today about building tree houses, you know, oh, like I watched Treehouse Masters and I'm just like, I need $50,000 to build a tree house. But first I got to build a tree in my backyard <laughs> to build it in. But like, it's just so universal. It's fun, you know? Yeah, no, it definitely. Thing. It's one of those resonating themes that just touches on the nostalgia of like little being little and everything. You got, I mean, if you start growing a tree today, you could probably have the money saved by the time the tree is big enough. <laughs> That's I mean, a great have, idea. You got to have future goals here, man. Yeah, I mean, but it's got to be a good. big tree to support like four hot tubs and a water slide. I'm just saying. <laughs> if you're going to do it, you got to do it right. Put the hot tub <laughs> on the bottom of the tree there, the base. I, I would take any any one of those room cards <laughs> like as my real just Just one of them yeah. <laughs> is good for me. Just one. The hot dog stand. Yeah. I'm saying. Well, crap, man. You actually took my next question now that I'm looking at it. I was going to talk about you and Scott coming together on this because he's such a hot commodity right now. I mean, he could just put some, you know, fingernail clippings in a box and people would be like, yep, I'm on it. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I wouldn't put that out, but, but, you know, like (laughs) he did, it was, it was really cool. He's a great guy. He's really down to earth. He loves designing games and he, he likes making uh, small games that that have a lot going on. And he, he told me when he, when he came up with this idea that he wanted to make something along the lines that, um, of like some of those German card game fillers that like Amigo puts out, like, so it's like six Mm -hmm. nips and stuff like that. Um, He's like, that was his design goal. I want to make a card game that feels, uh, kind of timeless, you know? And he, and he brought that and, and it was cool. Um, he's he and he's working with a lot of he's he's got a game coming out with Eagle Griffin. He's got a game coming out with Nevermore. So he's mm-hmm. he's kind of branching out and and um, Gamelin's got a couple of his games coming out and an expansion for for Tiny Epic Kingdoms too. So like he's he's staying busy and I think he just loves it and and wants to put his games with uh, the right the right people. And I'm I'm really honored that he came to me to do that um, uh, for my second title. I think he was. Um, pretty impressed with how we did Fidelitas and how that came out and how I ran the campaign and everything. So at least I had a little bit of change in my pocket and, you know, could prove that I knew a little something about what I was doing. And, um, and you know, he's, he's a gamer like us. He just wants to make games and play games and get them out there. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how it goes. Well, Jason, how about, can you give us some of the, the details of the campaign? Yeah. Um, so the, the campaign is, uh, Gonna launch on March twentieth, yep. and the um, base pledge. There's only one tier, one pledge level. Keeping it Jeez. real, keeping it simple. A man after our hearts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't. I mean, I can't focus long enough to do anything more than that, you know. <laughs> and um, it's gonna be sixteen dollars plus shipping. 
So, um, so it'll be three dollars additional for U.S. So it'll be nineteen bucks for the pledge nice. for the game shipped to your house. Uh, nine bucks additional for Canada, and then twelve bucks for everywhere else. Yep. So, um, you know, so it's still kind of staying in that right, you know, price point for a for a small game, and. It's it, we've got some stretch goals planned, but when we run out of stretch goals, we're we're going to be done with stretch mm-hmm. goals. Um, and it's all stuff that either is going to add to uh, the gameplay or the component quality, uh, which we're all starting with good component quality. But there's some things we might be able to upgrade um, if we hit some stretch goals, but nothing that like nothing that you're if you're everything you get in the box is going to be great from mm-hmm. day one. But then we can maybe make it a little bit better and like go beyond the value of what the actual MSRP is by, you know, stuffing it full of stuff. And then um, hopefully maybe unlocking some more art by Adam McIver to have some more unique uh, rooms in the, in the building. So um, at this point I'm, I, uh, I'm planning to run a 30 day campaign, Mm -hmm. but I may run a three week, a 21 day campaign. Um, So, uh, you know, you find that the, the biggest, points in the campaign are at the beginning and at the end and there's a big uh, kind of lull in the middle and yeah. like if we can cut that lull out a little bit and just keep it popping you know and then we can hopefully we can get everything wrapped up and delivered earlier too if we don't have a, a longer campaign so now, are you going to put a photo of yourself in one of the treehouse rooms like you oh, did with the oh my god <laughs> only real pictures all the time actually we're gonna that's one of the stretch goals to swap out all the art with fate with with photographs of me <laughs> sweet oh that's I that's funny behind that jason holding a pizza jason in the hot tub <laughs> oh gosh that's i'm it's gonna be a 29 dollar game now with that i think that's what you can pay Dude, for i'll give one. you 40 for that <laughs> I'll get your own personal copy, Dan. Yeah, I was gonna say, just make me one. I'll give you, I'll give you forty bucks. <laughs> just, just, just for the record, there will be no photographs of me <laughs> or anybody else in the game art. For those of you who who don't know, we had some, we we put some funny cards in Fidelitas that were just pictures of me and the other designer, Philip Berry, and I thought they were stinking hilarious. But people were like, "Oh, this doesn't fit with the regular art," <laughs> and I'm like. Well, yeah, it's not supposed to. It's silly fun. And uh, so then I sucked it up and I paid the artist to draw the pictures of us. To, and I, we included both of them. <laughs> but uh, that was one of those brilliant Kickstarter ideas that I thought was really funny, but not as many other people thought thought it was funny. So, But I it was... It was... You showed us a Gen Con and I was cracking <laughs> up. And then <laughs> I saw the update like two weeks later. Here's the art. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You you guys win, okay? You guys win. You get the pictures by Jackie Davis. There's another lesson learned. Yeah. Fiddleitis, <laughs> timeless. Um, what's so? What's coming up uh, from Green Couch in the future? I mean, do you have anything on tap after Best Treehouse ever? You're going to take a little break. Um, uh, I I wanted to try to double the amount of games that I do this year. Last year I was able to do one, so I'd like to do two, maybe three this year, because. Um, I don't know. That just seems like the right pace to have. Um, and so I have a couple. I have a, a designer a game that I looked at it on pub that I really like. And the designer's doing a little bit of development work on and getting back with me. So I can't announce that just yet. Um, but I have a couple other um, small card games that I'm looking at, too. And I'm considering doing a couple different things. I don't know. I was thinking about doing like a, a green couch limited kind of deal where like I do short runs of a couple games that are like only available through Kickstarter slash at conventions, but I'm not really sold on that yet. I just, 
what what I really like it. Have you guys are you guys familiar with the Tokyo Games Market? Like, mm-hmm. so it's it's this cool convention where these designers show up with like their handmade games and like fifty copies or a hundred copies and um and they just sell them and like it's just this creative space where these designers come together and make a product and sell it. And in these games, some of them end up going on and getting picked up by AG or, you know, getting picked up by other publishers or some of them just like, that's it. Like they show up there. And um, I love that. I love that idea. Like, I think that's really cool um, to kind of just throw some stuff out there that that's a little riskier. That's maybe not as sure of a thing or um, maybe something that I don't know, like that's quick and more impulsive and just to get it out there because. I don't know. That's just exciting and fun and just kind of see how that goes. But I haven't really decided yet on that. I just I think that there's an idea there that that I'd like to explore a little bit more. But um, I don't know. Business and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's stupid. Bringing you down, man. <laughs> Kills the creativity. It does. It does. What about Jason Katarski, the designer? Do you have anything in the works coming out? I know you mentioned Crash Games. Anything you want to plug? Any? Yeah, sure. Tidbits. I'd love to. You know, great, great Harlan Holland Company is uh, just going to be hitting stores again. Like they uh, dice hate me merged with Greater Than Games, the people behind Sentinels of the Multiverse, and and so their distribution network it just blew up. It just got way bigger, and uh, so so Heartland is going to be hitting a lot more stores uh, again pretty soon. It was kind of it was in stores, but then like they're as they moved from one distributor to the other, like it was kind of like you know, on, a little on the lighter side. So that's going to be out there again. Um, and then Dead Drop is coming out from uh, Crash Games, which is my micro game that has art also by Adam McIver. It's a 13-card game, the uh, deduction. Oh. And that one's, that one's oh, yeah, sweet. Uh, yeah, so that one's, that one's coming this summer, like June, July, I think, is when it's going getting to backers at least. So, And then um, a game that I just... I, I worked with White Goblin from the Netherlands in a little game called Kite Fight. This oh, is this the kite game? Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. So, like, cool. it, I don't think it's officially been released to stores, and it's only going to be in Europe for now until uh, they hopefully find a uh, domestic. Tiff and I'll find it, don't partner. worry. I'll <laughs> yeah. have it. I'll have it. <laughs> yeah, you and your hipster games and your mail order. I got to get in on some of these orders, guys. You got to get a hold of me. But, um, yeah, so so that one is is kind of in process. It, it, looks cool and i got six copies but nobody else has it yet i don't think so um yeah i think that's the gist of uh what's i mean fidelitas just hitting stores and i'm working on a couple different prototypes and um just you know focusing my times where i feel like they need to be focused at any given moment so cool man yeah yeah any more podcasts from you buddy yeah, you know, we were, you know, that's the thing. Like, you start running a company and you're like, I got to do a podcast. I got to, but I got to do this thing with the company over here. And then I'm like, I'm going to Unpub. I got to get ready for Unpub. So I was, I was a little bit scattered and we had like a month between our last two episodes, but we're getting back to a regular schedule. So uh, you'll see that soon. I'll have to have you guys come on sometime. Ooh. <laughs> you'll each get to talk for three minutes. It'll be great. I can handle that. I accept. <laughs> I'm all right with that. It's like Tiff's dreams. It's perfect. <laughs> well, hey, Jason, we appreciate you chatting with us. I think it's it's probably time to wrap it up, hey? Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate you guys. I like uh, I like listening to your podcasts, and uh, I like seeing you in real life, too. Oh, well, we look forward to seeing you, you at time. Origins. Yeah, I'll be at Origins for sure, and Gen Con. Excellent. Sweet, dude. 
Cool, cool. Well, summer camp. Yeah. Best Treehouse ever out on the 20th. March 20th. Yes, please come and check us out. And Jason, where can they find you if people want to reach out to you in the world? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm on Twitter at Jason Kotarski, and I live in Flint, Michigan. <laughs> so stop on by. Just want to play some games. <laughs> Noted. You want to just give out your address real quick so it's easier um, for people? No, we can meet. We can meet at like the the crepe company or something. Like a public place would be preferable. <laughs> He'll send you a good Somewhere buddy safe. when he wants to meet. <laughs> stop. All right, man. Well, Ruined. thank you. And you have a good one. You too. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, dude. See ya. <laughs> All right, that'll be a wrap on episode 18 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. Thanks again to Jason for joining us. And if you wanted to reach out to us, you can find us on Facebook, the BGG Guild, number 2077, or the best place to find us, Twitter. Tiff, if they wanted to chat with you. I'm at IneptGamer. And Dan? Uh, at League Nonsense. And jump over to the Guild. I mean, we don't have a lot of conversation going, but I know we all check it and we want to have conversation. So post something. We'll definitely respond. Engage yeah. us. Dan, That'd Tiff, awesome. and I chat enough that we're not really looking to chat with each other. Looking for some extra, extra. What are you feedback. trying to say? Well, we're not trying to He's just trying make to a BGG thread about with us three talking. Oh. Okay. Oh, do you want to? All right, you guys can come over to the guild where you can read a thread about Dan, Tiff, and I <laughs> just talking to each other. Everything we talked about on the podcast will be in written form. Yeah, we're gonna script it out. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good plan. We've hired a court reporter to (laughs) translate all of our episodes. Stenographer. There we go. I knew I was missing it, but I just went with the court reporter. That's okay. Um, (laughs) Wow. I effed up the closing. Great. That's okay. Sorry. Uh, Just last minute, if you like the show and you feel like supporting us, iTunes reviews are always appreciated. They help us get noticed and, you know, get some more listens so that we can be providing better content for you guys and what you guys want to hear. Um, you can also shoot us an email at podcastandnonsenseschoolgamers.com and tell us directly if you have anything that you want to let us know. Uh, but that's a wrap on 18, so join us in a couple of weeks for episode 19, where we'll talk about some more gaming goodness. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.